Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Abs control, helm, out for the car, shot stop, rebound, Luckett and scores! The Colorado Avalanche are headed to the Stanley Cup Final! Yeah, I know none of us want to talk about it, but the reality is the Abs advanced last night to the Stanley Cup Final no, alongside fine, Alex BK. Ferrario and T- not Tanner Hendrickson. Oh. Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. We like it's you, BK Grant. and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's fine, though, BK, because the team that beat the Blues because the Blues were shorthanded is playing for the Stanley Cup final. Ipso facto, the Blues are Stanley Cup finals. I know you say that tongue-in-cheek. I kind of feel that way. Oh, no, I'm not tongue-in-cheek, man. I've told you from the get-go, Blues are going to the Stanley Cup final if Bennington and Krug are playing. I know it's irrational. I know it doesn't matter. But the fact that the Blues were the only team from the Western Conference this year that played the Avs that won a game against the Avs kind of makes me feel better inside. It really does. There's something about that that makes me feel like, you know what? If they would have had Binner, if they had Krug, I think the Blues might have been the best team in the West. Now, there's no way that we will ever find out if that was true or not. It's Don't impossible. I know it. It's one of those unanswerable questions in life. God, think back to that game three, too. I don't want the to. crowds no, going unbelievably insane. Somebody put a damn tweet out last that. night Ugh. and said, think about six seconds. If they would have just passed without Darren Helm scoring that goal, Blues probably win in overtime and force game seven. And I don't want to think about that. I feel better about the Blues today than I did when that series ended. And maybe some of that is just the benefit of time. We've now had a couple of weeks to be able to look back on things as opposed to being in the actual moment. And the other thing is like, man, it took all of 10 days for the abs to make quick work of the Edmonton Oilers who have two superstars like real superstar players and what Dreisaitl and McDavid did this playoff run was nothing short of miraculous they were the first NHL players in 20 almost 30 years to record 30 or more points in the playoffs without reaching the Stanley Cup final they did everything they could to drag their teams or their team rather to the Stanley Cup final and it wasn't enough wasn't enough to even win a game against the team that the Blues made them work. So I, I feel better about it today and in large part because of what we've seen the Avs do against the other two teams that they played. Well, and here's the thing. And like if you're Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl today, like you got to be feeling miserable because of the performance you put on. And Zach Hyman had a great series as well. The player that was uh, signed by Edmonton from Toronto comes down to goaltending. And what did we say going into the playoffs? You got to have goaltending. That is the contributor. Who could have seen this from Edmonton? too 
who could have seen this from Mike Smith? Yeah, you know, I mean, really, Mike Smith. It's shocking. Who thought at one point he was a defenseman and figured, hey, Kale McCarr can do this. Watch what I can do with goal pads on. And next thing you know, the puck's in the back of his net. But Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, they were they were beat because of rough goaltending. And I think if they have anybody else in net, you're probably talking about a little bit deeper of a series than what those two teams just played against each other. So what does this mean? What does it all mean in the grand scheme of things? It means that you're pretty close. You are in, in my opinion, Alex, I know you disagree with this, but in my opinion, the second tier in the West. And you're alone in that tier. I think right now it is the Avs at number one, and then it's the Blues, and then you can make an argument for probably five other teams in the Western Conference in that third tier right behind you. I think that's pretty loaded. You're not that far away. And I think that's going to influence what we see in the offseason. I don't think that Doug Armstrong is going to shy away from making any sort of big moves. Maybe that means a Matthew Kachuk, a Jacob Chikrin, something like that. I know earlier today, Alex, you just mentioned this before we came on the air. I think The Athletic is reporting that David Pasternak is potentially going to be available via trade this offseason. Yeah, um, I believe it, uh, it's their beat writer for The Athletic, and I apologize if I butcher the name, but uh, Fluto Shinzawa, senior writer for The Athletic in Boston. Apparently he is reporting that David Pasternak could potentially be moved so I I don't know if there's any reality to it I don't know if it's possible for the Blues to be able to acquire a guy like that but if Matthew Kachuk is not an option this offseason maybe that's another big time player that you could go out there and try to acquire if I'm not mistaken I think he has one year left on his current deal it will expire after the 2023 season so it makes sense that's kind of like what we talked about yesterday with the Blues where you've got these guys with one year left on their contracts you want to extract value before they potentially go elsewhere those are the kinds of players that I expect the Blues to go out there and look for and if they can't get them if they shoot for the best possible scenarios and they miss your landing spots are like a Nick Letty, which isn't so bad. We saw that this year. Pretty solid. You go out there and acquire maybe a third-line winger who makes about $3 million, and then you just run it back. And what we learned in this series against the Avs between the Blues and the Avs, in my mind, and then watching them in the other two series as well, is that that might be good enough. Next year, you're not going up against the same Avs team that you saw this year. They are going to be depleted in some way or another. So I I feel really good about A, where the Blues were this season, and B, that this window continues to be open going into 2023. Yeah, the window is absolutely open. And I think a couple of things I learned from that game last night and just the series in general. One, it's the Blues and Avalanche and then everybody else in the Western Conference. Unless somebody has a complete overhaul in the offseason, it's those two teams at the top in the Western Conference. And the second thing, I don't think the Blues are that far off from Colorado. I said this before the series began that if you look at the top 10 players in that series between the Blues and Colorado, it's pretty obvious Colorado's got the top two, Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, and you just saw it on display against the Edmonton Oilers. But after that, I could argue every single player that you bring up on Colorado's side and comp it to what the Blues have. And in my opinion, watching what they just did against Edmonton, watching what they did against Nashville, albeit that they have their second and third string goaltenders in, I think the Blues are on the same level as the Colorado Avalanche moving forward. I'm not talking about talent level but what i am talking about is if you take the offseason into consideration and understand that they're probably not going to be able to afford nazem kadri they're probably not going to be able to afford a valerie nachushkin or maybe an arturi lekkanen but not all of them not at a all, minimum yeah, like no, no, e- I'm saying maybe they one. do bring back one maybe, maybe even two. two of those guys but they can't bring back everybody that they have this they're year. gonna have to pay nathan mckinnon sooner or later and let's all be real here they have a lot of guys who are top 
10 picks that are going to be paid like top 10 picks. That becomes a salary cr crunch. So I think the Blues window is open. Colorado's window is open, but the Blues have managed the cap so well that they can sustain competition, whereas Colorado's got it right now. Alex, this was the breaking news that you mentioned to me before the show today. David Posternock potentially becoming available. What does that mean to you? Like, if we're putting the the big board together of who the Blues could go out there and acquire this offseason. Grant, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Grant's a hockey guy. We can get him in on this conversation, too. If I told you you could acquire one of, and it's going to be basically the same package, one of, and you expect to re-sign, Pasternak or Matthew Kachuk, who would you rather get this offseason? Take everything into account, the name, the game, everything that you can take into account. What would you rather get? I think I'm going Matthew Kachuk, and the reason why, probably because Pasternak did not have as good of a season this past season as he had in the past. And you look at the Blues forwards, we have, we have the scoring. We had nine 20-goal scorers this season. We don't necessarily need a, a, a huge name in goal scoring, not that Matthew Kachuk won't be, but I think Kachuk is more of a player who plays an all-around uh, two-way game, defensive, offensive. I think he brings more of a, a whole player to the, to, to the squad, and you look at what player is probably going to perform better in the playoffs. I know Kachuk has struggled with Calgary, obviously, but I think Kachuk is more of a playoff style of player. God, this is tough, man. <laughs> this is tough because I didn't realize. So David Pasternak is only two years older than Matthew Kachuk. Um, he's also six foot, 189 pounds compared to Kachuk being six foot two, 202 pounds. I, I think he also has 30 goals and 70 career playoff games. I know. And, and he's, got seven, he's a point per game playoff <laughs> performer. He's got 74 points in 70 playoff games. He's a point per game player in the regular season also. I think I'm going to go Matthew Kachuk only because, like what Grant said, he provides what you absolutely need. I think you've got a lot of guys. God, this is difficult. I, I wanted to say you have a lot of guys who can shoot who are snipers, but if you trade Vladdy and Cairo, which I would imagine like that might have to happen yeah. if you want a David Pasternak, well, you kind of lose those and guys then. For, for two reasons, right? It's A, because you have to lose something of value to gain something of value and B, the money, the, the money yeah. going out is what also has to come back in. Here's, so here's it's, the thing. It's two. It's kind of a two way thing there. I would ask the question By the way for the Bruins. That's an Ivan Barbashev landing spot. If I've ever heard one, who's more likely to re up with St. Louis. That would be my question. And I think you're more likely to get Matthew Kachuk to re up over a David Poster. I think a prerequisite to either trade would be knowing that there is going to be a long term deal in place before yeah. making that kind because of trade. both are going to cost somewhere between eight plus eight and a half to 10 million dollars a year um and and for those of you who are asking why the hell would they trade david pasternak well one they just fired bruce cassidy and two if you remember correctly he and his uh wife or fiance lost their newborn in the regular season he missed a lot of time with the team obviously for personal reasons so you would imagine that that maybe he needs a change of scenery to get out of the place that reminds him so much of what took place there so I would be making every single phone call possible because here's the other fix with this. You're going to have to flip, like, like it or not, you'd have to trade Vladdy to make this deal mm -hmm. work. Who's more likely a team for Vladdy to agree to? And I know this is pure speculation here. We're not sitting here talking about how it's actually going to happen. This is just us having fun. Sure. Vladdy more likely to want to go to Calgary or more likely to go to Boston? 
Here's the other thing. I don't think it matters because you could always do a side deal where you trade Vladdy you somewhere else. Maybe don't have to do a side deal here. Maybe not. Maybe it's straight up one for one. You got two guys who are going to be unrestricted free agents. I, I just the reason why I even bring it up is because I don't know that it matters too much because you could always acquire more assets from another team. Maybe you're sending him to like just picking a team out of thin air. You're sending him to Seattle and Seattle is going to send you assets that you can then take some of them and keep some of them or send them off to Boston or Calgary or whoever. And that could be the way that you go about it. You can make this thing work. But, man, that that is a big trade chip that Damn. just hit the potential open market for this offseason. And there's going to be a lot more as we move along. Like, Edmonton's probably going to be trading some pieces this offseason because of the salary crunch that they're in. Yep, it, it's going to be fascinating, man. I can't wait to continue to talk all about it this offseason. Let's get uh, Jeremy Rutherford's thoughts on that coming up at 12 o'clock. Does he believe that the Blues would have any interest in David Posternock? The answer is obviously yes. There's some level of interest from literally every team in the NHL. But how far could that interest go? We'll talk to him about that coming up at 12 o'clock. Danny Mack, though, the Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest, joins the show coming up next. Want to get his thoughts on what happens when Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill return to the lineup? Do we just see the end of these young guys getting everyday playing time? We'll talk to Dan about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Tanner is out today. We've got Grant Francis running the board for us. And right now we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. You're hearing him as well this season from time to time over on the Cardinals radio network, which has been an absolute joy to listen to. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Uh, doing fantastic. So let's start out with the weekend that we just saw out of the Cardinals, Dan. I I can't remember a time where I've been more impressed and in some ways surprised with the way that a pitching staff has been utilized. I feel like Ollie Marmol got everything that he could squeeze out of that bullpen over the weekend. And the way he utilized all of them with the multiple innings, uh, that is what we were sold on coming into the year. What do you think about the way that the bullpen and really the pitching staff as a whole was utilized in that Cub series? Sunday night was really impressive, wasn't it? With, oh, my gosh. Hennessy uh, Cabrera going four. Uh, I didn't see that coming, and I was wondering where they were going to go after that. There were some guys that they could have gone to, Packy Naughton being one. Uh, they had just called up Jake Walsh. So, I mean, there, there was um, a chance to give you some other innings and, and uh, other opportunities for guys, but – I'm with you. I, I thought that Ali maneuvered that wonderfully well and uh, wasn't easy. And he goes up to every reliever before the game, you know, when guys are playing catch and they're taking BP and he says, you know, how you feeling? Number one. And guys will say, Hey, I got one for you. I got two for you. He said, it was the first time that Hennessy's Cabrera. And he said, it may have been jokingly. He said, I got four for you, skip. And he said, okay, I got you. All right. Well, maybe we'll see that. And sure enough, he gave him four. So he was telling me that story on the plane, and I, and it's just uh, amazing how he's able to get the most out of him. And Cabrera's the kind of guy that if you gave him a day off yesterday, which the Cardinals had, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to do this here in Tampa, they're going to give him plenty of time to rest, but he is the kind of guy that can bounce back a lot and still have high velocity and be effective. But, uh, you know, it's it sets up to allow you to, to feel at least comfortable going into this series and then certainly when you get back home against Cincinnati over the weekend, um, you know, your bullpen isn't taxed and it shouldn't be. So it's a, it's a great job. I mean, you, 
when you manage, you manage for the moment to win, undoubtedly, but you're also managing the season and trying to figure out how are we going to get through games to make sure that we have the best chance to win? And I, I think Ollie's done that really, really well. Dan, you, you've been around Cardinals clubhouses for a really long time. You know the relationships between players and managers throughout a season. But for me personally, watching that weekend and hearing what took place with Henesis Cabrera and Ali Marmol and how he utilized that bullpen, am I crazy to think that that was one of those moments where, man, if, if you weren't bought into Ali Marmol, if you're a player, you are officially bought in now? I, I think he's earned that even prior to it, to be quite honest with you, Alex. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of moment that a, a player certainly says, man, my, my manager trusts me and he's got my back. And um, I'll say this, Ali is very upfront and direct. And I've been saying this from day one with, for the most part, the media, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll tell you what he thinks and he'll tell you, he said, man, I just made a bad move or I, I screwed up. I don't think this is right. You know, I should have gone with this guy, and I went with that guy. It didn't work. My fault. Um, and he's very direct with the players. I mean, it's just very simply, you perform, you play. Uh, you perform, you're going to have a chance to to get a chance to, to advance your career. And he's just been very upfront and honest with that. And I, that's what players want. They want honesty. I, I was actually with a, a few of the members um, from the the, the – the, the traveling party yesterday, not with the players, but others. And we were talking about how we feel this is a pretty tight knit group and it's a good group. And a lot of that stems from Ollie. So I, I think he's done a really nice job behind the scenes. And then certainly what's happening between the white lines. We're talking to Danny Mack for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Dan, just looking at some of the pitching and the way that he has utilized those guys, the Cardinals right now have, I believe it is seven different players that have thrown somewhere between 20 and 30 innings. And that is, I mean, that's ideal for this time of the year. It's also unique in the way that you're they're utilizing these pitchers. And I was listening to a podcast, uh, I think it was last week now, with Derek Gould, and he had a guy who covers the Brewers on. And he was asking about the way that Craig, Can Craig Council uses his bullpen. He said, the thing about council that is unique is there's only one guy that really has a label and that's at the very back end of the bullpen with Josh Hader. He's only going to come in in closing situations. Everybody else council calls them his out getters and they just find a way to get outs regardless of what role that means he utilizes them in. Are we seeing some of that now with the Cardinals? Is that starting to develop with the, uh, the number of guys that they have right now that allow that multi-inning versatility? Absolutely. And I, I don't think there is a clear cut closer at this point. Now, if you had everybody healthy and rested going into a game and you're in the ninth inning, I think it's Ryan Helsley. So would he have maybe the edge over others? Yeah, I think so. But there's a lot that does play into this um, in terms of like matchups and you start looking at spin rates and you know, who's doing well with this, who doesn't like a slider, who hits a fastball. I mean, all those things come into play. They have all that information at their fingertips. And because of that, I think Ali looks at the situation, and it could be in the sixth or the seventh, and says, I like Gallegos here, or I like Helsley here. Cabrera can give us two here. And his splits are fine against righties and lefties. So, yeah, I think they're kind of interchangeable parts, but, man, they're really good ones to where – you're not just worried about the back end of the game and saying, well, how do we get to Ryan Helsley? It's it's more of how do we get to those three guys and how do we utilize them once they're there? And it doesn't matter who saves it. We're going to wind up winning the game. And I, and I think that's the, 
the approach that he's taking right now. Hey, Dan, final one I wanted to get your thoughts on on the pitching side of things. And I know this is down the road a little bit, but we I've seen a lot of people talking about, you know, needs at the trade deadline for teams. And the Cardinals have been connected. I've seen Madison Bumgarner. I know people were talking Dallas Keuchel before he signed. Do you feel like that's the biggest need for the Cardinals in the next couple of months leading up to the trade deadline is going out to find another pitcher? I do, um, as we talk right now, and I think a lot of that would depend on others stepping up in the lineup. So do you want to go out and get yourself a lefty masher, a bat of some sort? Maybe. You know, that's something to think about. Um, but I think if you look at the it, it, the the situation with Flaherty really um, is a, a good thing to have him come back, obviously. And from all accounts, his arm angle um, in talking with people around the club is back to where it was, and his stuff is very good. It's playing, and it's mid-90s. So if you get him back, it does take some of the pressure off um, saying that, okay, where, where are we going to get with uh, our starting rotation? we got to get it back, or you know, who's, who's a guy that can fill in and, and maybe take a fifth spot? Well, if, Fla- if Flaherty comes back, that's big. If Hicks comes back in the middle of games uh, and provides you a little link there, that's big. Um, the other part of this now is Tyler O'Neill coming back and being somewhat of Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson. And I do think one of the others, uh, one of the other guys, you know, is going to step up and help you out. So that lessens the need for a bat. So it, it, when you get closer to the deadline, things have a way of, of, you know, kind of opening your eyes of clearly what you need. But if you're asking me right now in early June, yeah, starting pitching, I'm, I'm certainly going to monitor that market probably harder than anything else. You mentioned both Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, Dan. It sounds like those guys are getting closer to their return to the Cardinals. I don't know if that'll be during this series or the next one, but it sounds like it's coming in the not-too-distant future at least. What happens with these young guys that we've seen whenever those guys return to the lineup? I'm thinking specifically of a Juan Yepes, a Brendan Donovan, and Nolan Gorman. Do they still find spots in the lineup, if not every day, close to every day for those three, even when Carlson and O'Neill return? Well, I think Brendan Donovan's got to play right now. And so, you know, how you want to get creative and his versatility allows you to do that. Um, he's got to be in the lineup. I mean, the guy just is grinding through at bats and getting on base and coming up with big hits and big plays. So he's earned the time. And uh, I don't think anything is given to anybody else um, outside of Goldie and Arenado and Edmund. I think, and, and that's going back to what we were talking about with Ollie with the bullpen. It's a great problem to have, but he's going to have to start getting creative once these guys come back. And it wouldn't shock me if we see Tyler O'Neill back tonight or tomorrow. Um, but you want to give him a run. That's the thing. I mean, you want to see – because if he can return to where he was a year ago, you're, you're talking about um, a really formidable lineup. Um, and now you add Gorman and Yepes and Donovan, guys that you weren't sure what you expected to get out of him at the beginning of the season. Well, now you're getting a little taste of it, and it's pretty good. So – I think the the thing that I would just say is he's got to ha- he's going to have to be very very creative. But that's where the flexibility of Donovan and Edmund allows you to do that. And uh, you know Donovan can play all over the infield. He can play the the corners positions and play them well in the outfield. But to me, he's kind of the the Ben Zobrist of this team, and he's got to play. Dan, my final question for you: You've been around Cardinals baseball in, in this capacity for about twenty years now. You've seen a lot of teams, and you know when a, when a team has a good vibe around it. And honestly, just as a fan, you know what's enjoyable to watch. 
I feel like in my time here in St. Louis, this is the most fun I've had watching Cardinals baseball outside of that stretch last year for September. That was obviously just a different thing entirely. But this team with the youth that they have with Albert and Yachty and Wayno and those guys. And then, of course, you have kind of the, the middle ground with guys like Goldie and Arenado. It's really fun to watch. And it's just the style of baseball that they're playing right now. They're stealing bases when it's there for them. Can you put into perspective for us as somebody who's been around this team for a long time, what it's like for you to watch this team just from a pure fan perspective? Yeah, I, I, I think if they go on a run here and it has been fun to watch, don't get me wrong. And the late comebacks at Wrigley and the manner in which they're doing it, I, I'm with you. That, that makes it a lot of fun. Um, so this is 25 years for me and I, I go back to the McGuire days and that was fun. Um, you know, now we know some of the things that happened from then, but it was fun in the moment. It was great. Uh, you stopped what you were doing to, to watch him hit a home run or, or see something spectacular. And then they, they spent the money and, and added, you know, the, the veers and the, the, the Fernando Vina and going out and getting Renteria and Edmonds. And, and then eventually it was Scott Rowland. And then it eventually it was Larry Walker and some of these players that they've had. Uh, that was fun. I mean, that that early 2000 run of the MV3, it felt like every night they were going to win. I, I really felt felt that way. I mean, it just felt like you you showed up to the ballpark. They were a better team. You looked at their lineup, and they were going to win. So that was fun because you're winning 100 games in 04 and 05. 06, they win the World Series. But in recent memory, yeah, as the game has changed where um, stolen bases are obsolete, you don't bunt, you don't hit and run, you don't, all these things – they're doing a lot of those things. That is fun. And I think it's an athletic group, and that's what makes it fun, too. It's not just sitting back and waiting for a three-run homer, but when you have Edmund and you have Bader and you have Sosa that can run and you have athleticism, which they do have, and then, like you said, you've got the historic aspect of these guys in their final year, but also mixing in the young guys, all that makes it fun. So, yeah, in, in terms of the last few years, this is I'm with you. This is probably the most fun uh, team to watch that we've had in quite some time and they've we're talking about teams that have gone to postseason play but the way they're going about it this year has, has been a lot of fun no doubt about it dan we appreciate the time as always man thanks so much for hopping on with us today enjoy the call tonight down in tampa bay and we'll talk with you again soon man okay buddy we'll see you uh, guys next tuesday absolutely that's dan mclaughlin joining us here on 101 espn cardinals versus the rays later on this evening 610 first pitch in that one alex if you go by the run differential there's I don't want to get all nerdy here, but there's something called the Pythagorean win-loss percentage. Good Lord. Yeah. So on, it's man. based on your run differential overall, I, right? I can't. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because so far this year, based on their run differential, the Cardinals are expected to have a winning percentage right around 60%. That's where it would be. The last time that that was the case for a Cardinals team was 2013. That went pretty well. The time before that, it was 2005 when the Cardinals had an unbelievable team, and that was the MV3 era. This is based on run differential, and it is, of course, very early on. We're only a third of the way through the season. One of the three best teams by the Cardinals in the last 15-plus years. That's pretty impressive, and that's where I'm kind of getting at with this is as much fun as I've had watching the Cardinals in quite a while is because they have that kind of potential. I don't know how the season ends. The Mets are a juggernaut right now. The Dodgers are unbelievable. And I think the Cardinals are third right now in the National League for me. But the amount of talent that they've assembled, that's where it gets really interesting. And this is where we're going to get into our next conversation. 
I tend to agree with your question that you asked, Dan. Do the Cardinals need a starter? Yes, right now. I also think that could change, and I don't think that the player that has been rumored to the Cardinals is a whole lot of interest to me. We'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So do the Cardinals need another starter? It's a question that we're going to be asking a lot over the next month or so as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, my answer to that question right now as currently constructed is yes, they could absolutely use another starter. I also have a little bit of an amendment to that answer, which is if Jack Flaherty is back to being himself, then no, they very much do not need a starter. In fact, at that point, I feel really good about where this rotation is at. And so that's why the next month is going to be so important as Flaherty continues working his way back to the big league level. But earlier today over on MLB Network, John Morosi was on with their morning show and he was asked about the future of Madison Baumgartner. He apparently is being once again floated as a trade possibility and he connected Mad Bum naturally with the Cardinals. One team I would mention right away, the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that when you consider where their rotation is going long term, they're looking at what's going to be a very tight race uh, with the Brewers during the course of this season. And certainly with Wayne Wright in the last year of his deal, we talked about the Cardinals last year as potentially being in the, in the market for a starting pitcher. I would put Bumgarner in that same category for them right now. The issue, of course, is that he is under contract through 2024. So, and there, are, there is some significant money there. So you have to think about will there be a team that's going to take him at the full value the way he's pitched right now lauren i think he he may have a a suitor who's willing to pay the full freight madison bumgarner's been pretty solid so far this season if you look at his era and just some of the traditional numbers it's really good 3.65 era and 12 starts he's throwing about 60 innings so he's not the same innings eater that he once was but we know he has the playoff pedigree i think he would fit in really well with the mindset of this rotation like him, Wayno, Hudson, those guys, Michaelis, they're all bulldog mentality. It, it makes a lot of sense to throw Madison Baumgartner into this mix. The problem is he's $23 million this year, $23 million next year, and $14 million in 2024 when he is 34 years old. I'm not interested in that contract. I think you have Madison Baumgartner right now, and it's Miles Michaelis. Like, and I'm not saying Madison Baumgartner, the guy who won the World Series. I'm talking this Madison Baumgartner. You have him in Miles Michaelis, and what are you already paying him? You're paying Miles 15 mil, something around that area? I'm not going to bring on another $23 million to get the exact same pitcher. Honestly, you have Madison Baumgartner in Dakota Hudson. Like no, the- Dakota Hudson's better. Those guys pitch pretty similarly at this point I mean, in their respective in reality, careers. You have three of them. Wayne Rice, the same guy, too. And Steven Matz, honestly, this, isn't this, all that dissimilar, but he's is, got better stuff This right team now. is full of Madison Bumgarner. Zach Thompson looks like he could be a Madison Bumgarner for you. If you told me that I could get Mad Bum of four or five years ago, sign me up sure, for Sure, I would absolutely take that pitcher, mm-hmm. and I would pay him this money gladly. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is the type of player that you need right now. Now, if you want to go get somebody that is cost-controlled for the next couple of years, baby, do I have a player for you. Is it Aaron Nola? Because that's my guy. I've already talked about it. This is the guy that the Cardinals should pursue. You Phillies know he's suck. on the Phillies. They suck. You know he's on the Phillies. Is it Zach Wheeler? Because I'm on board with that. I would love him as well. Dude, No. We, we've, we're past this. Let's get Gibby. God. Let's bring Gibby back to get his hometown here in St. Louis. Here. 
Kyle Gibson is potentially going to be available once again. He's $7 million earlier today. He didn't do it the first time. I was reading over on MLB.com, and their beat writer for the Phillies said they they were expected to compete with the Mets and the Braves in the NL East, but they have found themselves in bad shape, and they have now fired their manager. If they don't turn things around, they could be sellers, and if they sell... Gibson could be a good candidate to be traded. He's been an effective starter for the Phillies so far this season. He can pitch into the sixth inning or later, and that just might be the exact type of thing that a team needs as it tries to round out its rotation down the stretch. Why do you want a Kyle Gibson? He's the exact same what you already have in your rotation. It is his final year of his current contract. He's at $7 million this season. It's not going to cost you much in terms of prospects or in terms of money. If you want to go get you somebody that can just be a really solid innings eater and you find out that Jack Flaherty, maybe there's uh, some sort of an issue that arises or he's just not the same guy that he once was. Maybe you just want more certainty at the back end of your rotation, whatever the reason is. I think Kyle Gibson makes a lot more sense or somebody like him. It doesn't even have to specifically be Gibby. That guy makes a lot more sense to me than Mad Bum. While fully acknowledging, obviously, Mad Bum's playoff experience is a, a pedigree that nobody else can match right yeah, now. Yeah, look, if I could get Madison Bumgarner and not have to give up a lot, I'd be interested in it, but I'd need Arizona to eat a lot of that money, and I think that's where things go to the, yeah, that's not happening what category. What would I have to eat for you to feel comfortable with it? Eight, nine mil. Next year? Next year. Yeah, so I'm See, only you're you'd taking be on probably about ten million dollars this year, and then it's fourteen million dollars in 2024. If they took it down to like basically what you're currently paying for Steven Matz, which is what fourteen or ten million dollars next year. Yeah, if they took it down to that for you, so they're paying twelve million dollars next year. Yeah, then, then I do, do it. it. Then I do it. But again, I think the prospect becomes higher in that circumstance, and I don't know if yeah. I'd be getting on board with that. So uh, I'm. Before I even bring up the name Kyle Gibson, I'm going big sea fishing here. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it in Aranola. I'm thinking, how do I get this player on my team? Because, again, Kyle Gibson's an innings eater, but he's also a guy. He's the bulldog mentality, right? I want a strikeout guy. I, I want... I you want, need one of those guys at the front end of your rotation. I want a swing and miss type of pitcher. What I really like is, and I know he sucks right now, but you go back <laughs> to when the Washington Nationals won the World Series... Like Patrick Corbin was the perfect asset to Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Now you don't have those players on your roster, but if Jack Flaherty's at the form you need him to be, Miles Michaelis continues to pitch well, and you have Adam Wainwright, I'm talking about maybe using Steven Matz and a Dakota Hudson out of my bullpen as long arms, then I can go get my strikeout guy in Aaron Nola. Yeah, if you're looking right now to your point on the swing and miss type of stuff, There is no starting staff in all of Major League Baseball that has less swing and miss so far on the season than the St. Louis Cardinals. And that is kind of by design. Like, they went out there and they wanted to get guys that would pitch to contact, and that's exactly what they're doing so far this year. But you look at the top end of this, and it's some of the biggest competitors that you're going to see both in the National League and in Major League Baseball. It's the Yankees, the Rays, the Milwaukee Brewers, Toronto, San Diego, the Dodgers, the Mets. Atlanta, San Francisco, like it, the list just keeps going on and on with teams that you want to be more like, right? In terms of your rotation, if you're able to go out there and get a guy like a, I don't know who, I, Wheeler, Nola, yeah. something like that, that is an ideal situation for you. But I do think it probably ends up needing to be either one of those two guys, or at least at the Kyle Gibson level. I'm not sure I'm interested in going dropping all the way down to a Madison Baumgartner who has multiple years of control left. And part of the reason why, Alex, is because I don't think Adam Wainwright's retiring after this season. Yeah, I think this is a big factor in all of this. Like if if you're going to pay 
$20 million next year to uh, bring back Madison Bumgarner, I don't know that you're going to be able to have a whole lot of flexibility in the offseason. And I want some flexibility to go out there and improve this roster. And right now, I mean, we've heard him say this a million different times, but Wayno looks like he's still pitching pretty well. And Wayno has said in the past, I'm going to keep pitching until I can't do it anymore or it's not fun to me anymore. I don't think either of those two things apply to him right now. He's having a whole heck of a lot of fun and he's pitching very well. So, I mean, it's early June. These can obviously change, but I think Adam Wainwright's going to be back next year. And if he is, you've still got Wayno, Flaherty, Michaelis, Mats, Hudson. You got Libertor down in the minors. You got Zach Thompson in the minors as well. You got a couple of guys down in double A that aren't too far away. I don't want to clog that rotation, and I don't want to pay $20 million for a guy that I don't have 100% confidence in. But are you clogging the rotation? Because, I mean, let's all get on the reality bandwagon here and realize that Jack Flaherty's getting closer to free agency. I think you're clogging the rotation with him. Like, Mad Bum, I, I think, goes into oh, yeah, next yeah, yeah. year th- as a four or five starter. I thought starter. we were talking Aaron Nola here. If I'm getting a front-end starter in Nola, for example— I'm willing to do that and I'll figure out the rest later because that guy's awesome and you just you make it work. But I don't think that you need a back end of the rotation starter for next year and beyond. I can develop those guys from thin. We've seen the Cardinals do that. Somebody else mentions the idea of Frankie Montes. Frankie Montes is fine, but he's like a number three starter probably for you here in St. Louis. And he's going to cost you a lot to get him away from Oakland. Absolutely. I, I like the idea, but I would be aiming even higher if I'm going that route. What about uh, somebody brought this up on the text line too? Zach Eflin from the Philadelphia sure. Phillies. But he's more of a Kyle Gibson-esque yeah. type of guy where you're getting him. But that's more to the point of, I guess you're talking about, of clogging the rotation. Yeah, and I'd, I would have to look up. I don't have exactly what his contract situation is in front of me. but Little um, walks, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's solid. He's he's kind of more in line with what we expected going into the year as well with a guy like uh, Miles Michaelis. So yeah. I, I think that there are a lot of options that are potentially going to arise for you. I don't think that it's as big of a need as it feels like it is right now, though. That's my biggest takeaway from all of this is just it feels like it's an urgent need right now. I don't think it's going to feel that way if Jack Flaherty is back to being himself. If you get Jack back at 100% of what we think he can be, You've got Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, Dakota Hudson, Steven Matz, and you've developed now some pitching depth with guys like Andre Pallante, who can give you multiple Zach innings. Thompson. Zach Thompson, Matthew Libertor maybe could work his way into that mix as well. Jake Woodford is a long man for you. I know it feels kind of weird to say, but Drew Verhagen's been pretty good for you of late. That's five guys that can potentially give you multiple innings coming out of your pen. So you're in a good spot right now when it comes to your pitching if – Jack can get back to being 100%. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. There was that rumor earlier today from one of his fellow athletic riders up in Boston, David Posternak, potentially becoming available this offseason. Is that a guy that he could see the Blues looking at acquiring? We'll talk to JR about that coming up at noon. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air cover 
service text line for questions and answers from the 573. Guys, do you think any chance of an Xander Bogarts deal has died with Tommy Edmond playing well at shortstop? I think so. I mean, I was all in for it because it felt like the Cardinals were not going to move Tommy Edmond to short. But now we've seen Tommy Edmond at short. You're getting the offense, and I think you're getting the defense. So I think any go going after a shortstop, in my opinion, is dead now for the team. Yeah, I think it's unlikely. I wouldn't say it's completely dead. If the Cardinals decided, you know what, we need another big bat, and Xander Bogarts became available, and they wanted to put him at shortstop, you figure it out from there, right? Like, you put Tommy Edmond at second base on some days. Nolan Gorman doesn't play against lefties anyways. And you potentially are better defensively with Bogarts in there and Edmond as opposed to Edmond and Gorman. So I guess it's possible. But I just find it to be highly, highly unlikely. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers uh, from the 314. Guys, do you think it is actually real that David Pasternak could be traded by the Bruins? In all reality, do I think it's real? No. Like, I don't understand how you could trade that player. I mean, he's a prototypical 40-goal scorer every single season. Um, and for those that are just tuning in, the report the report was not from this Fluta. Like, he didn't put a tweet out saying this. It was somebody that heard a radio hit this morning that he mentioned Boston could explore the opportunity to trade David Pasternak. And what I'm understanding is... The way he framed it was that if Boston goes into the season and says, look, we're not going to be competing this year because McAvoy is going to be hurt for the first two, three months of the season. So is Brad Marchand. You don't know if you're getting Patrice Bergeron back. You got a lot of guys who are going to be injured. Maybe they view this as, hey, let's see if we can retool in a couple of years the competitive rebuild like Nashville did and come back on the other side when guys are healthy to compete. And if that's the case, who's the guy you're going to get the most for? David Pasternak. And maybe David Pasternak wants a change of scenery. So do I think it's possible? Anything's possible. We've seen crazier. I'm just amazed if it would happen because that's such a good player. I'm kind of surprised that this is getting out there before it happens. Because, like, we saw what happened with Tarasenko. Like, you come out and you say that this is a possibility and, and you say, you know, I'm requesting a trade. Well, that immediately sort of tanks your value a little bit with the team that you're trying to get away from especially when you got a no trade or no movement clause right so i'm surprised this got out because if it didn't then the trade value would be much higher for Pasternak. Mm -hmm. uh 65780 is the air covered service tax line for questions and answers from the 314 do you guys see any chance of henesis cabrera being a starter next year no I think the Cardinals are pretty flush with starting yeah. options. I don't think that that will be necessary. I was super impressed with what he did in the four innings of work, though. Like, if they need him to be used as an opener, I think he inserted himself as an option for those games. I think that's what we saw. It's more likely that he's used as an opener now as opposed to him actually being a starter. I don't think we should ask these guys to be more than what they are. And I think Kenneth Cabrera is just a really, really good reliever who can potentially go multiple innings for you. I, I wouldn't mess with it. I mean, he's such a lethal weapon for you right now out of your bullpen. Why turn that into, oh, let's use him as a starter? Why? Your bullpen is, is I mean, honestly, he continues down this path. You could see a Joe Kelly-type career for Henesis Cabrera. From the 314, guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your confidence level that Tyler O'Neill is going to get back to being what he was last year? I'd put it at about a 7. Um... Because, I mean, we went through this already. A guy who struggled at the beginning of the season. He went on an injury stint, came back, and 
uh, was better than what he was. And I don't know if the shoulder really was nagging him or if this was just a matter of a mental reset for him. I mean, obviously it was nagging him enough to where they, they had to put him out for a little bit. But uh, what we've seen so far through the minors seems like it looked good. So I- I'll put it at about a seven. I am at a six. I'm a little lower than you in terms of him getting back to what he was last year. I do think that like at a minimum, Tyler O'Neill is going to be a good power bat who plays excellent defense in left field. That's a pretty solid player. You like having that guy around. The problem is what you were hoping for this year is basically MV3 2.0. And he hasn't been that by any stretch of the imagination. On the plus side, you have had other guys that have stepped up and basically replaced the production that you were hoping to get out of him. I'm fascinated, though, to see how they handle that situation when he does return, which might be as early as tonight from the injured list. And then when Dylan Carlson gets back as well. Sounds like you'll have at least a couple of games here with just Tyler O'Neill in the lineup. That makes things very easy. You can figure that out in terms of who's getting the playing time tonight. They've got a lefty on the mound for Tampa Bay, so you just pull out Nolan Gorman. But once Dylan Carlson gets back, that's where you're going to have to pick your pieces, pick your spots a little better. Interested to see how Ali Marmol decides to go about that. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. But next, Jeremy Rutherford joins the show. Want to get his thoughts on what this offseason is going to look like. David Posternak, is it a real possibility in St. Louis if he's even available from Boston? We'll talk to JR about all that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. One side, Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. How's the off-season mode treating you? Uh, it's been great. Yeah, just uh, ran out to the Ozarks for a few days for a little baseball tournament for the little guy and uh, got the report cards out. And now I'm working on a mailbag today, so we should have a two-part mailbag coming out at the Athletic in the next few days. Very nice. I'm looking forward to that. JR, I wanted to get your reaction uh, to the series that we just watched between Edmonton and Colorado. If you missed it because you blinked, uh, it is over. And Edmonton (laughs) is done. They are out of the playoffs. The Avs are moving on. They have lost two games in the postseason, both of which came against the Blues. They swept both of their other series. Is there any big picture takeaways that you have after watching what the Avs did in the Western Conference this year? Yeah, it's just how poised they are. And, uh, you know, the Blues came back, obviously, in that game five and got them uh, one of the two losses that the Avs have had. So if you look at it, they've only been dominated really one game, and that was that game two. Uh, I thought the Blues played terrific. The Avs didn't. Um, So I just think they've been poised. They look like a team that's on a mission. They look like a team that's lost in the second round a few times in a row, and now they know what it takes. And, And, you know, the key for me is, when you see a team play well despite the, scar- the stars not really scoring, kind of like what was the case early in that Blue series, but yet they're still finding a way to win, and then you get to a point in the playoffs where those stars really come alive like uh, McCarr did last night, you know, that's the type of team that you have to be uh, really fearful of. So, you know, I felt like you know, Edmonton probably deserved a win in there. Those last two games were, were close, uh, but Colorado came back and, and won those games. So just two losses, as you mentioned, pretty impressive so far. So, Jared, with that performance, I mean, how how 
How much more open do you feel like the Stanley Cup window is for the Blues? Because we were talking about that at opening of the show. Like, in my opinion, after watching that series with Edmonton and what the Blues did to Colorado without Bennington and Tory Krug, for me, it feels like Colorado and St. Louis and then everybody else in the West. Yeah, to me, it's open, and, and I agree with Doug Armstrong, what he has said. Like, he put that five-year time frame on the championship window that first year that they won the Cup in 19, and so, you know, if you go by that, you're saying, okay, well, does it close in 23-ish, uh, you suppose? But I, I just think the way that rosters evolve, it's hard to put uh, years on windows because uh, you look at the contracts, they get moved, uh, you know, the teams get younger, uh, younger players like a Kyra and a Thomas step up, and I think that extends it. Also, what happens with guys that you guys touched on it yesterday uh, with like O'Reilly and Tarasenko? Do they stay? Do they go? So I think that the Blues window is open. I think it's clear that they're one of the top two or three teams in the Western Conference and one of the top five or six probably in the league. And, you know, with some tweaking this offseason, I think they can be right there next year. So I definitely think this window is open. JR, I, I mean, the big piece for this offseason, or at least one of them, is Vladimir Tarasenko. He's making $7.5 million going into next year. It's the final year of his deal. We all know the backstory, the backdrop, and all of your great reporting uh, from last offseason of what that was like. And then, of course, he comes in, has a career year points-wise for the Blues, and was outstanding on the ice for the vast majority of the season. Is there any update on where we are right now with Vladimir Tarasenko and what you're anticipating from him and his situation this offseason? Yeah, not really an update. I'm efforting. You know, I think that they probably let the dust settle a little bit. I think all along there's been, you know, the idea that there would be a conversation between the two sides and where this would be going next year. As we've dissected so in depth, you know, you guys on the show and you know, tried to do at the athletic. There's so many different variables involved in here in this decision. You know, does uh, Tarasenko want to be back? Does he want to keep the the trade request on the table? What do the Blues want to do? You know, if they feel that that window is only open for a couple more years, uh, they obviously think that Tarasenko could be a part of of winning during this window. So you keep him. But you know, uh, do you want to trade him when his value is high, which it is right now? Do you have any intention whatsoever of bringing him back next year, re-signing after the final year of his contract? So I think all those things are what Doug Armstrong has been tackling uh, probably uh, in his mind the last uh, 12 months and, and will continue to do so here. So, you know, I hope to have some sort of explainer piece where this stands and where it could be headed in the very near, near future, but uh, no update right now. Uh, so, JR, this is kind of a hypothetical thing, and I want you to put yourself in Doug Armstrong's shoes here. I'm going to give you four options and give me the Jeremy Rutherford power rankings on, on how you feel. Oh, I love this. Let <laughs> me write them down. This is, don't, I'm not giving you five, along. though, JR, because you can't steal the Ferrario five. This is a four <laughs> for Jeremy Rutherford. But the necessity of these things to try and accomplish in the offseason, making a big-time trade, shoring up the defensive side, getting a goaltender, and fixing the fourth line. How would you rank those four? Trade for a forward? I'd probably, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with the uh, these the Rutherford rankings. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. I'd go with the I'd go with uh, the defense. You know, and I like the way the defense. I mean, a lot of people were a little bit critical of the generous grades I gave some of these defensemen. I just feel like with all the questions there were about the defense and you know Scandella, I was writing early in the season. When are they going to bench this guy? Uh, you know they perform pretty well I mean I kind of grade based on uh, what's the guy capable of and you know you bring in guys like Kelly Rosen and who didn't expect to be on the roster and 
you know, these guys really came together and, and even Scandelli and got the job done. They did. Could it have been better? Yes. But but I feel like the questions that we had early on, they're still there somewhat. But, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty good. So so anyway, I think that's the biggest thing right there. You know, I'm not as worried about the goaltending because the way uh, Bennington finished, I think um, he was really humbled this year and really showed us something down the stretch. If you get Huso back, that's even better. Uh you know, what, what was the fourth one? Because I think that the major trade is probably you know one of the last on my list. What was your fourth one? Yeah, the fourth one was the major trade. Oh, uh, shoring up the fourth line. Yeah, shoring up the fourth line is important. So I would probably put that in the top two uh, because what's it going to look like? Like they said all along that Logan Brown probably wasn't a fourth player, fourth line player. He's one of your guys coming back. You know, Nathan Walker, I think he's great as a player. He can come in as a pinch uh, guy. But, you know, I think if you go into the season with him in your fourth line, you know, probably not. You know, Torbchenko is the guy to me that, that really sticks out. So I think he's back and, and uh, penciled into that starting lineup for sure. And then Bozak probably not back. So I do think they're probably going to have to go outside the organization to bring some people in. So I'd say left side uh, defense and the defense number one. Then I'd probably go fourth line. Um, and then I'd probably go uh, goaltending situation because if Huso doesn't come back, what are you going to do? And then I'd go major trade. I was just going to say, uh, so okay, so we know from the Rutherford ranking that uh, goaltender is more important than Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, so uh, my follow-up <laughs> question here, JR, is A, why do you hate Matthew Kachuk? And B, so how about David Posternock? What do you think about that possibility of bringing him to yeah. St. Louis? First of all, first of all, what writers do love are stories that write themselves, and Matthew Kachuk would write itself all year long, so it wouldn't be a lot of effort to come up with story ideas uh, if that trade were to materialize. So, so no, and, uh, yeah, I've been listening to your Pasternak discussion. I think Alex uh, pretty much hit it on the head earlier when he said, hey, listen, you know, this isn't a report that Boston wants to trade him. This isn't a report that Pasternak wants out. You know, what Pluto kind of laid out there is that, look, they've made this change in Boston, uh, removing uh, Cassidy as the coach. And so they're probably going to go younger with the coach, probably going to go with a guy like uh, Jay Leach. And the situation in Boston is they want to let these young players play without the idea of uh, making mistakes. And, and we saw that with uh, Jake DeBrusque. You saw, saw it with Trent Fredrickson, stuff like that. So, so I think the situation in Boston is without a Zidane Char, with a Marchant that's going to be banged up and miss the first part of the season, you know, without some of their core guys that have been there for a long time, this is going to be probably a rebuild in Boston. And does Pasternak want to be a part of that? Probably not. Do they think that they can resign him after the final year of his contract next year? They may think that they can't. So like Fluto said in his piece, he's probably the biggest trade chip. And if he is available, yeah, I would think that the Blues would, would definitely have some interest. But, you know, who who do you move for him? Because if it's a rebuild in Boston, Tarasenko's probably not going there if you want to move him. So is it a Jordan Cairo? Is it somebody else? I mean, Pasternak's still only 26 years old. So uh, you're going to have to give up something to, to get him uh, and a good player with uh, a lot of good years ahead of him. So I have one more question, but I want to follow up with this one, Jerry. If you were to look at it, hey, look, another Rutherford ranking. Which one do you feel like would be more likely of a trade for the Blues this offseason, a Pasternak or a Kachuk trade? Oh, and can I ask a follow-up on top of that? No, which one would you rather both. have? Oh, I thought you were going to go for both. <laughs> well, I do want both, but I, I've been told that's not likely. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think both players could you know, step in and just be great, great pieces for the Blues, both of them. I mean, could you imagine Pasternak on that power play with, uh, with uh, Tori Krug that, you know, that, like they had in Boston? That'd be great. So, you know, I think he would be good. Uh, you know, I think the fact that he's he's 26, like I mentioned, he's still young. Um, you know, Kachuk to me is just 
the perfect piece. And I hate to be so convenient with that and, you know, just follow all the speculation and, you know, wish for it to happen and stuff like, I just think what he brings that skill and that potential and that grittiness and, you know, just that it factor. Uh, and on top of that, you know, people here in St. Louis already love him. So he'd walk into a situation that would just be perfect for him. So anyway, I, I think both players would be great. You know, they're different types of players. Um, and in terms of which one would I rather have, you know, I, I think, uh, I think it'd probably be Kachuk. He said both. Yeah, he did say both. But we know why he'd rather <laughs> yeah. have Kachuk for the storyline of this one. Yeah, for Jared, sure. <laughs> one more I wanted to ask you, and this kind of goes back to the fourth line conversation, but, you know, watching this Tampa Bay and the New York Rangers series, let's put the Matthew Kachuk in the in the Pasternak to the side of making a big to. move like that. Do you think Doug Armstrong could potentially go into this offseason and look at it as, look, we can sign a couple of fourth liners, or maybe we go out there and sign like a, a Nick Paul or an Andrew Kopp or something like that to be a third-line player and move third-line guys down to the fourth line? I do like Andrew Kopp. Yeah, I guess you could. The only thing is, like, who are we talking about moving down? Because down the stretch there you had, like, a, a Shen, a Kairou on the third line. So, I, you know, I don't know. You know, you could move a Barbashev down to the fourth line. So you got a Barbashev and a Torpchenko uh, within that group. I guess it just, just depends on, on yeah. who you're pushing down. Yeah, it would it would be Barbie. God, come um, on, BK. What, what's with all the hate, man? That's, that's what we do Damn. on this show. Uh, it, uh, we do it with love, though. We do it with love. I don't think we do. <laughs> JR, I've, I've got a uh, last question for you. Yeah. I had a pet project last year of getting sawed to St. Louis. Oh, what are you talking about? Your school project? I, uh, I have a new one this year, and it is because Alex brought this gentleman to my attention, and he seems like the perfect fit for the St. Louis Blues as a left-handed defenseman as – one of those oh, options. <laughs> if, this is unbelievable. If things go awry with Jacob Chikrin, JR, or if they, have to, to laugh. they have to aim low. What about Olimata as a left-handed defenseman? He's 27 years old. He's played for the Kings, played for the Penguins. He's got that winning pedigree. He's a very good defensive-minded defenseman. Is Olimata the type of player that this Blues team could use? You know, I suppose. I think there was actually some interest going back to his uh, Penguins days. I don't know if it was the Penguins trying to, to move him or if it was the Blues had some interest, but uh, for whatever reason, you know, if that were the case, it didn't materialize. Uh, you know, I suppose, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, what do you think about the Blues defense as it stands right now? I know there's people that want to move Scandell, and I understand that. You know, to me, if he's in your third pair, uh, he's okay. What do you think about Mikola? Um, so before I answer the question and before anybody can answer the question about Mata, it's got to be what, what do you think about the guys you have in place here and what are your chances of getting a guy like Chikrin? Because if you can get a Chikrin, then then certainly okay. that would take uh, – yeah, that would that would be the priority, right? So so if you can't get a Chikrin, you know, I suppose he could help, but I think you'd first have to find out, you know, what do you think about Perimovic? Are you going to put him in – you know, uh, potentially a top four role. Uh, Mikola, after his year of growth, is he, you know, a second pair guy potentially, or is he in your third pair? So, so yeah, I do think he could probably help, but yeah, he wouldn't probably be, you know, on my short list of guys that I would be thinking about bringing in. JR, tell me who, tell me who, tell me who Ali Mata sounds like from Finland, six foot two, 210 pounds, (laughs) play the left side. Who's that sound like? Proven, proven left-handed defenseman. He's played since 2013. I'm trying to tell BK over here, JR, like, (laughs) hey, this guy is essentially Ali Mata in three years from now. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm in the here and now where my team wants to win a Stanley Cup and I need somebody that's ready to go as a top or second pair defenseman right now. Rash. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. 
Anytime, boys. Talk to you later. You got it. This is Jeremy Rutherford for joining us here on 101 ESPN. I'm not saying Olimata is the answer <laughs> yes, to all are. things that plague the Blues. <laughs> you just told Grant and I in the commercial break, guys, the way the Blues win a cup is to sign Olimata to a seven-year contract. Uh, oh, no, stop that. You don't put your, don't put that in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what just happened there. Uh, Olimata is a good player. I think it's Olimata. I'm pretty sure it's Oli. It's Oli. God damn. Come on, Grant. Sorry, Alex. Come on, man. Um, it, I don't think that's the guy that you aim for, right? He's not the the best case scenario. That's Jacob Chikrin. If you can go acquire Jacob Chikrin and it's not a crazy cost, like, yeah, go do that. Yeah, but, I 100% agree with everybody Mata's who says that. not even my second best decision here. Who would you rather? Given Nick the Letty. price. I, see, I think you are... I like Nick Letty. I think if they are not going to utilize Nick Letty on the power play, then you are not getting the full capability of Letty, and you're paying for a portion of his game that you're not actually utilizing. But in all reality, I don't think you're using any of these guys on your power play. If Scott Perunovich is here next season, that's it's what Krug I'm and Perunovich. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to bring back Nick Letty, part of the reason why you would do that or why somebody will do that this offseason is because he can quarterback a power play. You don't need that because you've got Tory Krug, and then they like Justin Falk back there on the power play or Perunovich, depending on what they decide to do with that second unit. I would rather go out there and acquire somebody that is going to be a defensive-minded defenseman as opposed to Letty, and I think Olimata is not going to cost you a crazy amount of money. I think you could get him for like two or three million bucks this offseason. But like JR said, uh, if you're going down that path, I think Marco Scandella is your third-pairing defenseman. Marco Scandella is a third-pairing defenseman. In fact, he's, he's probably... He's average as a second best defenseman, but he is above average as a third pairing defenseman. So why go get a guy when you already got one? Because I need both. I, I need somebody to play with Colton Pareko. And, and I think Olimata is more likely to be able to eat those minutes with Colton Pareko than what you're getting currently with a Marco Scandella, Callie Rose, and Nico Mikola, Scott Perunovic. I'm not sure that I'm ready for those guys to play up there with Colton Pareko right now. And I do think Mata has been able to do so in the past and could do so again this year. See the way I think he's a Josh Manson type. Where you, he comes yeah, in see that. and he can play those minutes and it's not a liability. But the way you. I look at it as like top peak is go get Jacob Chikrin. Next level down, I think, is go get or keep Nick Letty. And then after that, it's before I'm going to go out and sign another guy, I'm going to see what I got with Nico Mikola in that spot. See if I Scott like Perinovich can what play Nico there. Mikola is. There were times that we saw him this season that it's like, hey, this guy might actually be a top four defenseman. And then there were times that it didn't look great. But that's the learning curve that comes with this. And I'd rather give that guy a shot than just say, well, you're never going to be anything more than a third pairing defenseman. We're going to go sign a guy who's very similar to you, just with more experience. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, are the Cardinals set right now when it comes to their position players? Do we just not even need to look at the trade market for them position player wise? We'll talk about that coming up at 1230. Better to forget it is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Alex is in a great mood today. Well, yeah, we're getting about- Matthew Kachuk and David Posternock. 
And I got a Ferrari 5. And old, no, not only about Get that guy Jacob out of here. Jacob Chikrin's going to be a blue. We got a Ferrari 5 coming in later Ivan today. Ivan Barbashev's on the fourth line. Nick We're really Paul's going to be signed here. in the offseason to Zachary be a third line. Zachary in Springfield. Jake Neighbors is going to be on the team next year. Everything's good Sounds over like here. Sounds like a Stanley Cup championship to me, boys. All right, let's get into this. Speaking of going well, did you see what happened with Dennis Gates yesterday and, and oh, your Missouri Tigers? Our Missouri Tigers. Isaiah Mosley, a Columbia native. Yeah, is coming is. back home. Mm-hmm. He was at Missouri State the last few years. He averaged 20 points per game last year at Missouri State. He shot 50% from the field, 90% from the free throw line, and 40% from beyond the arc. He's an incredible scorer, and now he is a Missouri Tiger. Alex, bet it or forget it. Dennis Gates and the Missouri Tigers will be better next year than the Illini. Bet it. I think with a move like that and for what we've seen this, this offseason for Gates... I don't know if they're a tournament team in their first year, but I'm going to say they're going to be on the cusp of being a tournament team because I'm fully investing in this roster right now. So you're not sure if they're a tournament team, but they're going to be better than Illinois, who's almost certainly going to be a tournament team. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they're a tournament team. (laughs) Let me ask you this, though, about this Mosley, and this is me not knowing. Yeah. yeah. Where would you, like, obviously, when the Tigers got Michael Porter Jr., that was probably the biggest move that Mizzou could pull off. Where does this rank? Is this like right underneath it? Um, it, it's like he's not a he's not an NBA draft prospect right now, is he? He might be. I mean, the probably d- a second rounder. He's not going to okay. be like a, a top prospect. I mean, this is so. I mean, this is next this is level. About Michael as Porter, big as it gets since Michael Porter Damn. Jr. Maybe maybe Jeremiah Tillman. Okay, was was slightly bigger just because of his pedigree. That would probably be the closest thing that there is to this for Mizzou recently. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge deal Damn. that they're able to get a kid like this. I'm fully invested. On campus. They're winning bragging rights. So yeah, I guess they're a tournament team. I'm betting it. I'm forgetting that they're going to be better than Illinois next year. That's that's a high bar to no, clear. No, no, no. We, we were texting last night. We said that they were. I, know, I just said that to Tanner. Don't tell him I said this. He's not listening. I'm betting that they end up being an above 500 team. And right now, that is so much better than what they've been Especially recently. Especially for how fast you're transitioning because like Gonzo, it took a little bit, you yeah, know? The last time that the Missouri Tigers were above 500 in a full season was in 2018 and it is no coincidence that also was the season in which Michael Porter Jr. and Jonte Porter were on campus. So this is I think this is going to be the best Missouri full season team since Michael Porter Jr.'s freshman. Now the question now becomes... How good of a coach is Dennis Gates? Yeah. It's the same question that we have with Eli Drinkwitz, where it's like, you know the guy can recruit. We've seen it. Now we got to see how they are on the field and on the court. Yeah, I I think that it's easier to win with recruiting in basketball than it is in football. Yeah. Basketball, if you can get the dudes, you've got a really good shot. We've seen this over the years with Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they find the guys and they figure it out from there. But um, I, I think that it's a little easier to do. So I'm... I'm ready to be hurt by Missouri yep. basketball. I'm ready. 65780 is your cover service text line for bet it or forget it. Someone said they may be able to beat UMKC this year. I can't wait. It's going to be great. That'll be the biggest day We're of my beat life. all of the directional yeah. schools this time. Bet it or forget it. Doug Armstrong makes more trades in the next four months than John Mosellock does. Which, which GM slash president of operations will make more trades before, say, October, before the end of the Cardinal season? Um, Mo or Army? I'm going to say Mo makes more, and here's why. I think Army's going to make one big trade. 
I think Mo can make multiple little trades because if you have this roster that the Cardinals have right now, I could see them saying like, we've got the pieces in place. Now we just got to get a couple complimentary pieces. I don't know if it's going to be like it, but it may be like the 2011 trade deadline where you went out there and you got some asset pieces to a really good team. I can see that happening. I can see Army making one big trade and then with a couple of asset signings and then go into the regular season with what they've got. Grant, where are you at on this? I'm with Alex. I don't see Doug Armstrong making a ton of moves. You know, maybe we see a Tarasenko trade. If we do see a Tarasenko trade, I think that's going to be pretty much it for the offseason because I think everything's going to get done within that trade. And then he's going to look uh, internally for those other pieces. So I'm, I'm with Alex. I think Mo makes more trades. I think it ends up being Army. And the reason why is because Man, you are fully into this offseason. No, the reason why is because I think this is an offseason in which Doug Armstrong has to make some big decisions on players. And I think that's what next offseason will be for Mo. Mo's going to have to filter through some of these guys. You just you can't keep all of these prospects. And it's not because you don't want to. You literally can't keep them all on the roster. Jordan Walker is going to be on the Cardinals next year at some point. That's coming. He's right now crushing the baseball Dude, down in double A. So good. He's essentially on the same timeline as we saw last year at this time from Nolan Gorman. We're probably going to see him go up to triple A by the end of the season. And then next year, start out at triple A and by the end of the year, be up in the big leagues. Mason Wynn, it might be something pretty similar where either by the end of next season or the start of 2024, Mason Wynn is expecting to be on the big league roster. You've got a couple of starters that are down in double A right now that are on that same trajectory. So you're just you're running out of roster spots on your big league club. And that means some of these guys that we really like right now are not going to be here next year. And that's going to mean for some difficult decisions, but it's why the next four months are so huge for guys like Dylan Carlson. I don't think he's going anywhere, but Tyler O'Neill and Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes and Lars Newbar, Alec Burles, and all these guys that are either on the cusp or fighting for a spot right now, I think that is when those trades start happening is next offseason. Same thing on the pitching side of things. So I think it ends up being more, uh, I would bet on the Doug Armstrong side of things over the next four months. If this included into December and then January, I would go the Mo side. But for the next four months, I'll go with Army. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Blues acquire at least one player this offseason that we believe will score at least 25 goals for them next year. I'm going to bet this. I really think that as much as the Jacob Chikrin thing I believe is going to happen, I believe even more so that Doug's going to make a, a very valiant effort at getting Matthew Kachuk from Calgary. And this might just be the pipe dream in me, but I just the tea leaves are right there in front of you of Matthew Kachuk and Calgary parting ways. So I'm going to bet this one. I think that in some way, shape, or form, they're able to pull a trade off like that. I think I'm going to forget this one, and I'm not saying that I don't want this to happen. I don't know if it's reality to see Matthew Kachuk coming this upcoming season. And the reason being is because how many times have we actually been expecting something to happen, and it actually happens from Armstrong? Not very often. It's usually we see more of a, a surprise like a Pavel Buchnevich. Nobody saw that coming. And then here comes Buchnevich. Well, he did score. I saw it coming. Some Grant. people saw it coming. Okay. Most people <laughs> didn't see five. it coming. Tune Mo in the one o'clock hour. <laughs> but I see Doug Armstrong making more of a move that might bring in someone like Buchnevich, who, you know, he did score, you know, a, a ton of goals this season, but you're not going to expect that out of them. Nick Paul.
Bless it, you. He makes a lot of sense for him. I'm going to forget this. I don't think that they're... I, I think that what, what ends up happening with Matthew Kachuk is he stays one more year in Calgary and next year he signs with the Blues. I, I think that is the path of least resistance for both teams. Calgary can go one more run at this thing. They bring back Johnny Goudreau. How do they make it work under the cap? I don't know, man. That's why these guys are paid millions of dollars to figure out uh, the cap manipulation. So they'll figure that out if they need to. They go one more round with Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau, and they try to put the pieces together around them and have a potential Stanley Cup run. And then next year, he's on the Blues. You probably have at that point the Vladimir Tarasenko cap space available to you. You do one more run. They do one more run. And then next year is the year that things start cycling through with somebody in you. So I would say I would forget this. With Alex Ferrario and Kieran Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. We've got Buster Olney of ESPN.com joining the show coming up at 1.15. But next, are the Cardinals set when it comes to their position players? I heard the fast lane talking about this yesterday. Alex, I want to get your thoughts, and we'll get some of yours on the text line as well at 65780. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's interesting about this current position, like the, the, the position players for the Cardinals, there really isn't an open spot. Dylan Carlson's going to come back at some point. Then you got, and so is Tyler O'Neill, and Tyler O'Neill might be back by the end of next week. Then you got kind of an, in, an interesting logjam again in the outfield with the way Brennan Donovan is playing. We, we were, you know, saying, hey, shortstop. Well, Tommy Edmonds slid over. We like what we've seen out of Nolan Gorman I'll thus far. Probably shortstop, and that's it. Position. That was the fast lane yesterday talking about the position players that could become available at the trade deadline and whether or not they're even of need for the Cardinals. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, it's interesting because as I look at where the Cardinals stand right now with their position players and really what their offense has done since the very beginning of the season, especially since the young guys have come up, it's hard to disagree with that. I do think that they're basically set right now in terms of the guys that they have available to them, especially when Carlson and Tyler O'Neill get back. Now, that being said, if Tyler O'Neill does not get back to form, if he doesn't become even something resembling the player that he was a year ago, I wouldn't hate going out there and acquiring one other bat that could really help you. Maybe that's a DH. Maybe it's in the middle infield. Maybe it's a corner outfielder. Wherever you end up getting him, I think you have the flexibility roster-wise to make it work. But I think that would be the prerequisite. If Tyler O'Neill fails, then maybe you can go acquire one of these guys. If he doesn't, if he becomes 80% of the guy that he was last year, then I don't think there's any need or any reason for this team to be looking at the position players as we get closer to the deadline. Yeah, and I'm fully expecting him to get something or back something close to that. I don't see a Paul DeYoung situation where he just completely drops off because as we've talked about it, and we, we mentioned this with our Bill Ripken mentioned this to us, like guys don't forget how to do what Tyler O'Neill did. That's not a fluke, although I questioned it. So I think he gets back to that, and that's where I come down to it. I just don't know where another bat fits in this lineup other than on the bench. And I'm just writing these down now because I'm trying to to, to to look at it rather than just say it out loud. But you know where your starting positions are at. And you know you've got Andrew Kisner as your backup catcher. You know you've got um, Brendan Donovan as your backup infielder slash outfielder. And I, I'm expecting that Lars Newfar is a part of this, although you just don't know. 
and then Edmundo Sosa's on the side of things. So And then Albert Pujols has the other yeah. DH. So where is that other position player playing? Because those are 13 guys that I just mentioned. Yeah, so the 12 guys that I think are locked into the roster right now are your two catchers, Arenado, Donovan, Edmund, Goldie. Those are your starters. Uh, Gorman, Albert, Yepes, all three have been kind of filtering through that DH mix. And then Bader, Carlson, O'Neill. That's 12 guys that are guaranteed, locked in, no doubt about it. When they're healthy, they're going to be on your major league roster. And then there's four guys that are in that next tier, which is I'm pretty sure these guys are going to be part of the 40-man roster at a minimum. And that's DeYoung, Sosa, and Newt Bar. And then you can throw in Dickerson in there as well. But if you don't want to throw him in there, I think Burleson will eventually potentially get that spot as well. It's just hard to be able to find, okay, we're going to remove this player for, from our roster to add in blank. But if you don't have Tyler O'Neill return to form, that's when maybe it's Dickerson, maybe it's Sosa, maybe it's DeYoung, whoever it ends up being. That's when I start looking and I, I go over to MLB.com as they put out today a list of the, the position players or the players in general that could be available from all 30 teams as we get closer to the trade deadline now that we're a third of the way through the regular season. Here's a few that stood out to me, Alex, as, okay, that might be interesting depending on what happens for the Cardinals. Trey Mancini, I know that's one of the fast lanes favorites. Andrew Benintendi, I think, might make a ton of sense for the Cardinals. He trains here in the offseason in St. Louis. Massive Blues fan. I bet you he wants Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> he's, on, he's on the final year of his contract. He's not super expensive. He's a guy that you might be able to go out there and acquire. The Miami Marlins uh, writer said that Jesus Aguilar might be oh. a guy who becomes available. I'll take that. I've always really liked him. I don't know if he fits well with what your roster construction looks like. He might be too too much of a duplicate of what you have right now in Albert Pujols. Six foot three, 277 pounds fits anywhere you need it okay. to. Well, you can play defense Maybe for not the Blues, for sure. Maybe not outfield. Josh Bell is a guy that I've always had a soft spot for. I think he's a really good hitter. If you could add that bat as a bench bat or somebody that can filter through the DH mix, he makes some sense. I've always really liked David Peralta and the versatility that he has, especially as a switch hitter. And then Jose Iglesias is a name that I've mentioned a number of times. If things go south with Nolan Gorman, which I'm not expecting, but if they did and you decided, OK, let's move Tommy Edmond back to second base. Let's get a glove at, at shortstop that makes good contact. Jose Iglesias could be that guy. Those are the players that make sense for the Cardinals. None of those guys really blow you away, though, man. No, I mean, I can already rule two of them out off okay. the top. Like Jose Iglesias, I, I just I don't. I don't see where that fits because I think you've got a Jose Iglesias and Brennan Donovan. You've got Tommy Edmond, Nolan Gorman. You got a lot of infielders here. If you went the Iglesias route, it would be because you need somebody that is good defensively at shortstop and you decided Tommy Edmond is better suited at second because we can't deal with the defensive issues by Gorman. I that, that would be the, if I'm trying to sell it, that would be the route that it would. And happen. I just don't think that's necessary for this team. I think I the it. defense is good enough. The other one I could rule out is Trey Mancini and not because he's a bad player, but because Trey Mancini is going to want to play. Like you can't. I don't think you can convince Trey Mancini. You're only getting him if Tyler O'Neill doesn't work and he's starting in left field and for you. I don't see that happening at all. Andrew Benintendi, or Benintendi, I always butcher that guy's name, so that's probably why he won't come to St. Louis. But he makes sense because he's a fourth outfielder, and I think you go after him if you feel like Lars Newtbar is not going to get what you hope out of. But then comes Alec Burleson into play, and then you've got the Jordan Walker side of things. So that one's tough for me. I love the idea of a David Peralta because that is a prototypical bench player. Josh Bell is the exact same, although I do feel like he and Jesus Aguilar are kind of Albert Pujols territory. So for me, like I just don't know where you're trying to go with this because you might have 
you might have too many cooks in the kitchen if you go after one of these bats with everything that you have on your roster right now. So the reason why I like Josh Bell quite a bit is because of what he does against right-handed pitching. So far this season against righties, he's batting 325 with an 885 OPS. He's getting on base about 40% of the time against right-handed pitching. So if you decide... Uh, Juan Yepes, he's going through a slump. Nolan Gorman, we still don't believe that it's best for us to utilize him as a designated hitter. And you're looking for that bat that could come in and be a DH for you against specifically right-handed pitching because Corey Dickerson clearly hasn't been that so far this year. That's where Josh Bell could make some sense for you. That's where, honestly, D- David Peralta, I switched them up. David Peralta is lefty. Josh Bell is the, the switch hitter. That's where he could make some sense for you as well. Maybe coming in and being your your DH against right-handed pitching specifically. So those are the kinds of things that you could be looking for. But moral of the story here, you're in a really good spot position player-wise. And if Tyler O'Neill does get back to form, I don't think we're going to be having conversations about position players as we get closer to the trade deadline. Now, that's assuming that these young players continue this performance. If they take a step back, we can reassess. But... Right now, because Juan Yepes just looks like a really good hitter and Brendan Donovan at a minimum looks like a super utility guy that you really like having as an option for you. Dylan Carlson was turning it on before before he got hurt. I, I don't really think that that's going to be what we're talking about as we get closer to the deadline. I think that if Jack Flaherty is back to form, what we're going to be looking for is one of those back end of the bullpen relievers. That's a John Mosellock specialty. As you get closer to the deadline, he goes out there and acquires a reliever that you weren't expecting. And I think that's probably going to be the case once again in 2022. Yeah, I mean, that's why I always come back to the pitching side of things, because like as much as I would love to go out there and get one of these bats, I don't know if that impacts you more than a pitcher does in a playoff series. Like if you can go out there and get a guy who could impact maybe out of the bullpen every other game or maybe every game, or if you're going to get a starter who can come out there and start one of three, that I feel like is more impactful than getting a guy, if everyone's hitting to what you expect them to be, getting a guy who's going to be fighting for DH opportunities. Somebody on the text line says, in terms of a trade, who are the untouchables? And the what Cardinals? would you be willing to give up from their current major league roster? That's interesting. Um, I, I'm not... So the guys in the minors that I am not trading under any circumstances are basically Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. Those are the two of yeah. the guys that are currently down in the minor leagues. I'd agree with that. From my big league roster guys that I would be willing to deal, it's tough. I I think you could part with Edmundo Sosa, but I don't think he has a ton of value in a trade. You ain't getting anything worth that. Um, I mean, who else are you looking? I, I, I mean, here's uh, one. If Tyler O'Neill yeah, doesn't get back to say, form, if uh, Tyler O'Neill might be one, depending on what's coming back the other way. Tyler O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, those two, if they don't get back to form, there might come a certain time where the Cardinals say to themselves, "You know what? We need something that is more of a certainty in the outfield," and that's where you end up trading. Maybe it is a Tyler O'Neill for an Andrew Benintendi, or, or maybe a Trey Mancini. Yeah. What what about like what that. about Nolan Gorman? Are you are you officially where he's untouchable, or if somebody comes to you and asks for Nolan Gorman, and you're getting a bat, an infielder bat in return? So, I like Nolan Gorman. I want to say that on the front end, I'm still having a hard time finding what exactly his long term future looks like here. In that, I'm sure somebody on the text and I'll say it's in the batter's box, and you figure it out. Uh, that's fair. 
is he going to be an outfielder for you eventually? I, I don't think he's looked particularly good so far defensively at second. He's been fine mo most of the time, but there have been multiple plays that were not made that would have been made if it was not Tommy Edmond, but just like an average defender at shortstop. Like if, if you have Brendan Donovan at second base, as opposed to Nolan Gorman and Donovan's fine there, he's solid. I think there are multiple plays that are made so far and it's been a very short sample size. So is he a DH for you? I think they view that as a no. And I think eventually Jordan Walker is going to get some of those opportunities for you at DH and in the corner outfield. You're just, you're running into another roster crunch here pretty soon. Mason Wynn is supposed to be the answer at shortstop. So I, is he an untouchable for me? No, but it would have to be a pretty damn good package that I'm getting in return to be able to give him up. Yeah. Like if you're telling me the only way that I can acquire Aaron Nola, for example, is if I include a Nolan Gorman in that package. I'd consider it. I'm listening. Yeah. And I don't think the Cardinals would, but I would be listening in that scenario because I'm looking down at what is coming up behind him, and I think I have other options for me that, that serve similar rules. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well with this one. I was just curious. Coming up in about 15 minutes, have the Blues earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their pick of their backup goalie this offseason? Alex has your Ferrario 5 of the backup goalie options. Uh, spoiler alert. They're not too inspiring. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today, man? All right, BK. Well, I'm going to take you to the uh, magical place called Disneyland and not Disney World. You have a timeshare yeah, there. This is in California, which you probably have a timeshare sooner or later. Uh, what's Give the, it time, buddy. Give what's it time. What's the worst thing somebody could do to a couple? I'm gonna at, leave at that Disney as an, World? As, as an open-ended question at Disney World. What is the worst or thing Disneyland. that somebody could do to, to a, a couple? couple? Yeah. Oh, dude, I don't know. It has something to do with money, I would imagine. Well, no, but close enough. It's ruin a proposal. Oh, boy. So I'm sure I saw you this. guys saw this or not. And, and I, I, I think this is a real oh. story and not just something that was set up because Disneyland like had to send a public apology out. So this was at Disneyland Paris, and a couple was set up in front of the castle and the guy knelt down on one knee. I guess they had somebody there taking a picture yep. like a family friend. And a Disneyland employee walks immediately through the proposal, grabs the box that has the ring in it, points ahead and says, hey, this is a better spot for you to do the proposal. Come over here. Are you sure that's what he was saying? I thought that's what at least I that think was he the, was saying. You can't take a picture here. Well, see, and that's what I guess the debate was, because somebody said that it was that it was that. But they also said that he was working in the photo side of the place to where he was saying, hey, you guys can't take a picture. I think he was saying you can't take a picture on your camera. We, we have, have to, to take do that it. because you have to pay for the pictures when you're in Disney World. I'm, I'm assuming it's the same in Paris. But if you watch the video, he like immediately points. Oh, yeah. I think he was, says like, take a picture here. They were on here. this like bridge kind of an area. It was yeah. an elevated platform where they were taking the photos personally. And so my this is my guess, my read into it. I have not seen any stories on it. 
so I'm not sure if this was the case or not. But when I saw it, my original reaction was, oh, my God, he's telling them they can't do the proposal here and take all those pictures. And he he took I think he took the ring because he knew that was my best way to get them away from this. In all reality, Ooh. like awful, just a terrible look. I get it in in terms of like, hey, you can't do that here. But the way he went about it, oh, dude, close to getting punched, my man. First of all, you're touching the box that the ring's in, which I'm gonna, th- I'm gonna assume you're stealing it from me. That's a good way to get punched in the face. And, and yeah, and second of all, seriously, all we needed to do was take a damn picture, and you're <laughs> gonna interrupt it? Who cares? Like, well, that, that's the thing that is stupid about all of this. Is like, what does it hurt this guy to see this couple do the? proposal like if you think that they need to chill on the pictures afterwards and they only get like five minutes to do this and they got to get out of the way fine whatever no big deal but it takes two seconds to do something like this i'm watching the video again it's baffling my man is a a a-hole like i mean if you watch it he runs in the middle of it and then gives him this like really snarky look of like nope you're gonna take the picture down here oh so i did not see i did not realize this part we were getting some texts in 65780 is air comfort service text line they were apparently in a roped off area he was telling them that they're not allowed to be there they jumped the fence in order to get there all right jumped a fence to get there so (laughs) but see i'm i don't see ropes around this area if that is the case if they were in a roped off area it was a stage, I mean, though. You can't do Here's that. Here's the thing, though. Like, if you're if you're an employee there, like, it, it's not like, it's not like they were up there, like they didn't jump the rope and run up there to propose. They were standing there walking around. Like, you had ample time to get up there as an employee to say, "Hey, get down from up there. You can't be on the. You ruined the proposal." This is. Uh, Just let the people take the damn picture and move on. It, it's it's absurd. If you ever see anybody taking that is proposing and you think maybe they shouldn't be there, just leave them be. Just it's leave not even, them be. Not even that. If you're if you are somebody who likes to photobomb pictures, come on, get a better hobby. It's from the 636. Was this the same guy who was knocking over the cup pyramids at Wrigley Field? Yeah. No, that guy was no, Alex's spirit animal. That's, <laughs> that, hey, that was me. That was 100% something that Alex would do. You're ruining the enjoyment of everyone else in that stadium by stacking your stupid beer cup so people can't see the field. Go do that in a playland like a Chuck E. Cheese or something. Don't do it at a damn baseball game. Alex hates fun. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Buster Olney of ESPN.com. Want to get his thoughts on where he sees the Cardinals roster. If they end up having a need at the deadline, what does he think it will be? We'll talk to Buster about that coming up at 115. But next... It's time for a Ferrario 5. The five best backup goalie options for your Blues. They all stink. We'll tell you about them next. John 101 ESPN. Ville Husso is a free agent, and that means the Blues are potentially in the market for a new backup goalie. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We got Buster only joining the show coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex... Going into the offseason, the backup goalie situation is definitely one to monitor. Who are some of your top candidates that we should be looking for? And this is a perfect day for another Ferrario 5 Grant. That's right, I said Grant. Hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. All right. 
We forgot the open music. It's fine, Grant. You don't usually do this. That's on Tanner, so actually, for not... Okay, stop, stop, stop. It's, it's really bad here. No, for, first one on the... Sorry, number five on this list, I guess it would be Mike Smith. Are you serious? No, I'm not serious. That would be <laughs> awful. We're not going to do this. Uh, no, number five on this list is... Uh, and let me, I guess, preface this. These are awful lists, by the way. Like, there's one good name on this and one I'm okay with and three that I'm like, oh, God. But this is what we're having to work with right now. And I don't have Huso on this list at all because I'm under the assumption Huso is just going to cost too much for the Blues to bring back, especially after watching the debacle with Edmonton. They're going to have to spend money on a goaltender. Huso's going to get paid. Number five on this list is Alex Stalock. Now, his numbers do not look great. Especially last year, he had a 786 save percentage with San Jose in one game play. Oh, God. But San Jose is awful. I think we all can agree upon that. But if you go back to three or 2019-2020 season, a respectable 9-10 save percentage with the Minnesota Wild, and that was a Minnesota team that wasn't that great. He's not the best option, but what I think and why it plays into this category for us this is a guy that that makes me feel like you know what if he goes and signs with the blues he puts on a performance that people are thinking oh my god this guy's incredible so alex delock is number five on this what list. was he doing over the last two years though he's played 17 hockey games since the end of the 2020 uh, season he might have been injured from his time okay. with minnesota i'm not sure maybe he took some time off because of the pandemic but like i said i'm not sure but all I know is when he played with Minnesota, the guy looked like he could steal some hockey games for okay. you. This reminds me a lot of like a Brian Elliott Steining where it's like, oh, where'd this guy come from? And then boom, he steps in and comes up big. This one I thought was interesting. I put him four on this list because I don't know how realistic it is. But Martin Jones, we all remember Martin Jones, the, the guy this who played be fine with. for the San Jose Sharks. Now he's a starting goaltender. All right, he'd like you to believe he's a starting goaltender. He has struggled in that category for the last few seasons. I'd be really curious if the Blues had a conversation with him and said, look, you're 32 years old. You've had your starts. What do you feel about being a backup with the potential of getting some starts uh, in a little bit of a span of the regular season? Because we all know, like, Jordan Bennington goes through his lulls throughout the year. I like the idea of bringing in a Martin Jones where maybe he's not handling the load of being a number one goaltender, but you look at him and say, look, we, we need 30 to 35 games out of you in a full season, and – I think Martin Jones could do that and put on the performance that we saw when he was first with the San Jose Sharks. I actually like that one. And my first instinct, I, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit when <laughs> yeah, you, when me you mentioned <laughs> Martin Jones. I think Martin Jones was one of the key reasons why San Jose didn't win a cup when they had uh, a lot of the players that could have won a cup with them. Um, but Martin Jones kind of reminds me a little bit of a Jake Allen, maybe a better mm -hmm. version of Jake Allen, or maybe not even a better version. He's just that guy who's... He's kind of a starter, but then when he has the sole role of starter, he's not that great. Yeah, it, well, and, and think about it. He was playing on San Jose that just continued to decline. Like, the last time he was good with San Jose was in the 2017-2018 season, which, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, the 2015-16 was the year they also went really far in the playoffs. But he was really good for them. Like, he had a 2.27 goals against average uh, in that 15-16 season when they went on to the Stanley Cup final and lost. Raise my hand real quick. No, just we can't get Ali Mata. He can't play goaltending. Uh, wh what is it going to cost to acquire that, a Martin Jones? Well, and that's the <laughs> other conversation I think you'd have to have. I feel like have. somebody might use him as like a 1B in their goalie tandem, and I don't really want to pay him 3 to $5 million. No, no, no. no. The only, I think the only thing you're doing with this is $2 million or less. Okay. And I don't know if he would accept it, but you've been on really bad teams for the longest time. 
would you consider coming to a good team where you're going to get starting opportunities, but you got a chance at winning a Stanley Cup? Again, he's 32 years old. I like it if he's cheap. Yeah, and that's why I put him four on this list because I don't know how realistic it is. But, hey, I think if you could con- convince it, this also reminds me a lot of like what Grant said, a Jake Allen situation where he might not be viewed as a number one, but if he's competing with a Jordan Bennington. Exactly. Could start 30 games for you. You compete and then with Jake Jordan Allen Bennington. Takes, or excuse me, Jordan Bennington takes over in the playoffs. All right. The next two are going to sting a little bit, but hear me out here because this was what I had to work with. Number three, it's BK's guy, the Hamburglar. I don't know how he became my guy. Uh, well, you talk about him all the time. Look, it has not been good this season, but that was with New Jersey. Montreal, surprisingly, he had a 920 save percentage with Montreal this season, and Montreal was one of the worst teams in the NHL. He's been in the AHL for the last few seasons. But this, to me, screams like a guy that could come in and compete with a Joel Hofer, um, a guy who's number one on my list, which we'll talk about in just a bit. But this would be another guy that I think Cardinals are trying to find that that are the Blues are trying to find that Cardinals devil magic with the player like this. And he's not going to be making more than a million dollars. I like Martin Jones better. I like Martin Jones better as well. Can I ins- can I interest both of you guys, though, in spicy pork tenderloin and broccoli, Louis Domingue? No. Damn, that was quick, Grant. 30 years old. I mean, the guy was a star for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs, and although he had happened? an 898 same percentage. But that was one bad game. The team lost it all. Played good in the American Hockey League. He's played okay in the past. The one connection that I did find, which I, I, I don't believe, I think they missed each other by a season, but he played in the minors with the Tampa Bay Lightning's American Hockey League affiliate when David Alexander was oh, there. interesting. So I don't know if they crossed paths because I know his final season was Louis Domingue's only season with Syracuse, but that might be one that I think the Blues look at and say, well, hey, look at what he just did. David Alexander might have some history with this. Maybe you can find a guy who gets you 25 wins in a season. Okay. I, Domingue would be fine. And I would rather sign him as an AHL goalie, though, than bring him in as my backup. He's cheap in this circumstance, and I think in this one, very much so like um, the uh, Andrew Hammond and the Mar- and the Alex DeLock, this would be a, hey, we think Joel Hofer can compete for us for the backup role, but let's put it in a competition into the uh, sp- uh, preseason. And drumroll, please. We all know who this is. Number one goalie for you. Mike Smith. Okay. That wasn't funny. I know. I'll pass it on. It's Charlie Sideburns. Chucky Sideburns, Charlie Lindgren, whatever it might be. This this guy deserves the shot. This is the clear-cut answer, in my opinion, for the Blues in the offseason. And this goes back to the topic. Do they get the benefit of the doubt? They absolutely should. But Charlie Lindgren was a savior for this team in five games. And you could call it whatever you want. But I always go back to the Robert Bortuzzo cut, talking about how you, some guys just impact the locker room differently. And Lindgren did that in a short time with the Blues. I think if you can't get Huso, you absolutely sign this guy for a million dollars, a one-way contract contract and you say you are our backup goaltender this year all right so we have one guy that you can have as your backup goalie he's already on the roster i like the way that that worked out charlie lindgren gonna be your yeah. backup Martin goalie going into good, next guys, year. If, if you can get a cheap and then the other three like i told you there wasn't much to work with coming here. up in 15 minutes or so what the heck happened with the boston bruins and bruce cassidy and what can we learn from that situation and what does it say about craig berube here in st louis we'll do that coming up at 130 buster only is next we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's always a pleasure to catch up with our friend and ESPN's Major League Baseball insider. He's on Sunday Night Baseball, and you can hear him now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. He's Buster only joining us here on the show. Buster, we appreciate the time as always. How you doing today, my friend? 
I'm doing great. Great to talk with you again. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on. So let's let's get, first of all, kind of your big picture impressions of this Cardinals team in 2022. You've seen a decent amount of them with Sunday Night Baseball and then being on ESPN a couple of times recently. What do you think about these Cardinals? Yeah, so the first time that they were on Sunday Night Baseball, I was actually not at that game. My daughter graduated from college, um, so I, I was not there for that. But I was around them over the weekend and playing the Cubs. And it was the first time uh, that I thought of them as being a team that had the potential to win a World Series. You know, I thought I, I picked them to win the division at this, at this, uh, during spring training, but I didn't really think of them as potentially being a team that could climb into the, you know, the bracket of clubs like the Dodgers and the Braves. Uh, you know, as this season's gone along, you know, teams like the Yankees, the Mets. But after seeing them over the weekend, absolutely they're capable of that. And you can just see this great mix of young players coming up, the older guys, you know, Paul Goldschmidt being an MVP candidate, um, a lot of excitement around the guys coming back from injury, uh, and knowing as well that they've certainly got a lot of uh, you know potential chips to deal if they decide they want to go out in the trade market and do something. And let's face it, if you're <clears throat> in the National League Central – you're probably going to have a little easier path than if you were one of the other two divisions. I, I think it's a really dangerous team as we go uh, go through the last two-thirds of the regular season. Uh, well, Buster, we love hearing that. And you mentioned the trade deadline. That's a topic that we've discussed earlier today on our show because, of course, now you're starting to get the way-too-early trade projections of teams that could be buyers and sellers. Do the Cardinals strike you as a team, Buster, that should be in the market to acquire something at the deadline? I think, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, I think a lot of that's going to depend on what Flaherty is when he comes back, yep. right? Um, <clears throat> we don't know exactly you know, how healthy he's going to be. Is he a guy who's going to come back and be a number one, number two type as he was in the past, or is it going to be something less than that? If he's not that guy, then I think that probably is the thing that you're out in the marketplace looking for. They have so much depth, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, among the position players that they can figure that out. Uh, and, and their bullpen is better and deeper than I think a lot of people expected when the year started. But that rotation around Wainwright, uh, you feel like they're going to need some other high-end guy, you know, to, in order to, to help them beat the Dodgers. You know, he beat the Mets, beat the Braves. And, you know, we'll see if Flaherty can be that guy. So I, that would be my response. But here's the the trouble with that, we can, you know, I can be in, uh, you know, loud, loud mouth and say, yeah, yeah, they need to go out and get a number one or number two type starter. And I was looking at the market actually this morning in relation to the Toronto Blue Jays because they, you know, Hunjin Ryu is probably going to be out. And I was looking at, you know, potential frontline starting pitching. There's not a lot out there. Like you could probably, if the Phillies wind up, uh, you know, slumping again. Uh, after uh, firing Joe Girardi, and at some point they might have to make a decision on whether or not to get Bryce Harper surgery, you could probably call them to ask about Zach Wheeler. I don't think they're going to trade him. And once you start going team by team by team, maybe the best available guy is Frankie Montas of the Oakland Athletics. And we know that Mo can make trades with, uh, with Billy Bean, so that would be a possibility, but there are not a lot of options. Buster, the one that we brought up from the Phillies wasn't Zach Wheeler. What are your thoughts on possibly uh, Aaron Nola? See, I don't – and just uh, – I'll just give you guys an experience. A couple of years ago I heard from other teams that uh, their former general manager uh, had spoken with rival clubs during the wintertime and said, hey, by the way, 
if we were to put Wheeler out there, uh, you know, what, uh, what sort of, uh, you know, conversation could we have? You know, maybe we'll, we'll listen on Wheeler. And I reported that, and John Middleton, their owner, called me and said he wouldn't trade Wheeler for uh, vintage Babe Ruth, okay? John Middleton was a wrestler in college. He's unbelievably competitive. And the idea that he would trade Aaron Nola with a, an affordable option for 2023 and Nola's contract, I just don't see it. <laughs> there might be some teams that, uh, you know, would look at the value of Enola flipping that uh, a player, you know, a, a year and a half away from becoming a free agent. Uh, and you can make a case that would be the right thing to do. John Middleton, I ain't buying it because he's not trading any one of his pitchers right now for a dead guy is what he told me. Okay. Well, that's, that does make <laughs> well, sense. You ain't making that trade then. <laughs> I, uh, I I assumed that they would, when they put together a beer league softball team behind their pitchers, Buster, I just kind of assumed that they didn't view pitching as being as important as the rest of us do. Yeah, that's why when they fired Joe last week, and look, you know, I think Joe's a great guy. I think he's a great baseball guy. He also is known to be tense. Uh, and players around that, some, some of them don't like it. I don't think it matters if you put Tony La Russa, John McGraw, Connie Mack, as manager of that team, when you have a, a club that's that defensively challenged, that's pretty hard to win. And that's what the Phillies were, especially with what's going on with Bryce Harper. That's been the X factor where because of this elbow injury, uh, they had to play Castellanos and Schwarber at the corners, and that's not what the plan was going into spring training. We're talking to Buster only here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Buster, earlier you mentioned the young players that have come up and afforded the, the Cardinals the luxury of having a lot of flexibility. Even while Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill have been out, they haven't missed a beat offensively with players like Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes and now Nolan Gorman coming up and producing offensively. What have you seen from those young guys? And I also just want to ask you about kind of big picture wise with them, the Cardinals ability to develop these guys. What does that say about their minor league system right now as well? Yeah, that they're doing a great job. And look, the other day before the Sunday night game, we're in with David Ross uh, and going over the roster. And, and he mentioned, yeah, they got the young guy over there. Boy, does he look good. And I can't remember who it was, but one of our guys said, you mean Gorman? He goes, no, no, not him. Donovan, he's like, oh, my God, the quality of his at-bats. And, you know, the, the previous day, uh, my colleague Jesse Rogers done the story in which Albert's complimenting Epes in terms of his, his bat-to-ball ratio. When we were driving away after the game, after he drove in the, you know, a key run uh, at the end of that game, David Cohn in the car was like, that guy, can, he's got a swing. So you love those guys. Uh, you know, Ollie was telling us a story about how in spring training – you know, he, he was hearing from developmental people about Donovan and how Donovan's a gamer, and it doesn't matter if you put him in, uh, you put him in right field, you put him at second base. He's just going to play, right? He's just going to find a way to get the job done, and then he goes out after we hear those stories. He goes out and throws, throws out two base runners and has these great at bats in that game. I, I they were incredibly impressive. With that being said, Buster, I mean, the, the youth has been so impressive for this Cardinals team this season, but how much impact do you think those young players are getting from the veteran presence in that clubhouse with Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and Albert Pujols? Yeah, among the stupid picks that I made before the year started, I did feel like the reason why I picked the Cardinals, that we were going to win the division, is I, I felt like, you know, on those slow uh, getaway days on a Thursday when you're in Pittsburgh, 
that those players would generate energy. The old guys of, of Wainwright uh, and Yachty and Pujols would help those guys get through. And then Ollie told me this great story about how they had a 12-15 star one day in Baltimore. You know, and let's face it, as much as we like to look at these guys as playing a little league, it's like any other job. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. 12-15 start in Baltimore against a bad team. Uh, and he asked Albert, hey, you good to go in this game? And Albert's like, no problem. I got it. And Albert, in his first plate appearance, comes up and hits a pop-up in the infield. And he runs as hard as he can to the degree that when the ball was caught, he was around first base. Now, all he said, like, the feel in the dugout was like, oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> like, Albert, Albert's into this, and it's, you know, it's a 12-15 start, but it absolutely energized the players. You heard great stories about Albert and how he's connected with players. Let me tell you, guys, it's not always that way. Uh, you know, Derek Jeter, to me, is you – know, whenever I hear people say that he's, you know, overrated, I laugh at that. He was a great player. He was great for baseball. And at the end of his career, at times he could be kind of difficult, right? He wouldn't be the guy who would, you know, say to Joe Girardi, go ahead, hit me anywhere you want in the lineup. I don't care how you use me. Uh, Albert has done that. When we had that game on Sunday night, and the Cubs bring in a tough right-hander thrown from the side, they pinch it for Albert. There are a lot of stars uh, who would not accept that. The fact that Albert's embracing everything put on the table in front of him by the organization tells you how invested he is and understanding what his role is on this team. Buster, you've mentioned Ollie Marmel a couple of times. We're talking to Buster Olney of ESPN.com. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario for another couple of minutes. I've been so impressed by what we've seen so far this year out of Ollie, and I just didn't know what we were going to get out of him because he has never been in this position before. But what we saw this weekend with his bullpen management was I mean, really remarkable, and it reminded me of something that you would see from the Rays, a creative organization like that. And yeah. then what we've seen from him position player-wise reminds me a lot of the flexibility that we saw last year from the Giants. What's been your early impression of Ollie Marmel, and how do you think he's done learning on the job thus far this season? When we were in the car, you know, driving back to the hotel after that game the other night, the conversation in the car was, okay, who does Ali remind you of as a manager? For me, it was Alex Gore and Kevin Cash, which is why I was laughing uh, when you mentioned the Rays. You know, Kevin is the, the manager at Tampa Bay. He does a great job. He has a great feel for players. There's a combination of humor but seriousness. Uh, and, and I don't really know him that well, but just the feel around the team was so good. And it really struck me. Like, I, I talked to him uh, before the game on Saturday, the doubleheader. Uh, we talked to him before the game on Sunday, and he's, you know, having some laughs with us, telling us about how Adam Wainwright texting him a, a late on Saturday after the doubleheader saying, hey, Skip, I'll give you 130 pitches. <laughs> and then when I did the in-game interview with him in the middle of the fourth inning, it absolutely jumped out of me like – his demeanor completely changed. Like he was like, he was all business. Give me your questions. Let's get on. I got a game to manage, which I thought was great. Uh, and the way that you would, you would want a manager. I, I, I was really impressed in my, in my first uh, run through seeing the Cardinals with him at the helm. It's interesting, Buster, because I, I, I know for Cardinals fans, they remember TLR and the post-game interviews from him yep. were obviously intense. And he would tell you beforehand, hey, I'll let you know coming up at like 10 o'clock how I'm feeling for the day, right? 
And with, with Ollie, it's not that way at all. It's different. And, and Ollie is a guy who you come in and you ask the questions post game. And you've been in these set settings before where you never really know what the manager's going to be like after a tough loss, for example. Cardinals had one of those earlier this season. And Danny Mack has relayed uh, this story a few different times. Somebody came in and they, they were asking a question. They were kind of tepid about it. And he was like, hey, hey, we lost a game. We're all right. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Just ask your question. Whatever you got for me, I'm happy to answer it. And it's been just kind of refreshing, honestly, and seeing that because you don't always get that sense from a manager, especially in those post-game press conference availabilities after a tough loss. There's no doubt about it. I, I've always felt like in those settings, that reflected the true confidence uh, or uh, someone who's truly confident where, you know, manager, uh, you know, I'll give you, uh, I covered Bruce Bochy when he was a coach with the San Diego Padres. He, you know, he, of course, uh, you know, three championships with the, the San Francisco giants. And he was someone, I mean, his demeanor never changed when he was asked questions because he knew that he knew more than I did. <laughs> right. <laughs> he had the confidence to understand that. And so if I, stupid question you know which is half the time then he just you know moved along and just answered the question as best he could gave us the information but he was confident in the fact that he had information uh, more information than than, uh, you know I did or fans did and he felt like he was going to do what he thought was right now that doesn't mean he always made the right decision it didn't mean he didn't second guess himself but he wasn't threatened by the questions and I agree with you about Ollie. Like, that's my first impression. He's like, you know what? Go ahead, ask away. Uh, I know why I made this decision. I'm comfortable why I made this decision. That does reflect a lot of confidence. Buster, final couple of things for you. I, I did want to make sure we asked you about Adam Wainwright because he's once, once again been just so impressive to start out the season. Thrown 66 innings, has a 2.75 ERA now on the season. I did this the other day. I looked up what his first three years were in the big leagues in terms of the innings and the ERA and then what his last three years have been. He has been better over the last three years ERA-wise than he was his first three years in the bigs when he was 24, 25, and 26 years old. What have you made from his late career renaissance? And do you think he's going to be coming back next year? Uh, it's great to ask that because I asked that of Adam on Saturday. Uh, and sorry for a little self-promotion. We're going to run the full interview on the podcast that I do uh, next week. Um, I, I, I believe it. Now, when I asked him that he is going to come back, uh, to, to pitch in the big leagues. Now, um, when I asked him about, okay, what do you think about next year? He basically said he's not thinking beyond this year. He's enjoying the experience. Uh, I think he loves to pitch. But there are a couple of factors involved. One, he obviously has figured out, you know, as he talked about, you know, when he sort of redevoted himself to his craft, got in better shape, lost a lot of weight, uh, probably uh, – it began to double down in terms of his thoughts and his preparation going into each starts. Uh, he's someone who can still be a really good pitcher. And I think this works well for him in this generation of pitchers where everyone's thrown 98. You get the, the crafty guy who knows that, uh, you know, hitters want to swing the bat and he has the ability to use that aggressiveness against them. And he still loves to make adjustments. The other day when I talked to him uh, about his curveball, he mentioned that it was about 10 days ago when he was having a conversation with Libertor who asked him, hey, show me how you grip your curveball. And Adam, who had been – he felt like he'd been throwing more of a rolling curveball early this season, held the baseball up, and then he was like, that's what I'm doing wrong. 
He realized he hadn't been gripping the ball the same way that he had since his brother Trey showed him the grip when he's 12 years old. You know, rather than uh, than grip the baseball with the edge of his thumb, he was gripping it with the fingerprint side of his thumb. He changed that and felt it right away. And in that start against the Padres, when he, you know, one hit, seven innings, struck out ten, that was the first start after he made that adjustment. We saw against the Cubs the other night, even when he didn't necessarily have great stuff, he found a way. Absolutely, I think he's going to pitch in 2023. And we talked about the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's face it, you know, he, he's a guy who's got a real shot at it. I do think it's going to help his chances if he pitches at least a couple more years. Uh, follow up on that real quick, Buster. We'll get you out of here on this one. Albert's a no-brainer, obvious first ballot Hall of Famer. He's There's there's no even question about that. Yachty, no. Goldie, Arenado, Wayno, those four. How many of them do you think end up getting into the Hall of Fame when all is said and done? I think all four do. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've, I, I've talked to you before about Molina. I think the, you know, the, the, a lot of the metrics don't reflect his excellence uh, and his defensive domination. To me, you know, we always heard the phrase in the NFL, you know, the shutdown corner. It's like the Cardinals all these years have had Deion Sanders behind home plate. In terms of his impact on running games, uh, and I, I think he should be someone who should be a slam dunk first ballot guy. You know, Goldie, soon you guys will be talking about his 1,000th run, his 1,000th RBI, his 300th homer. Uh, he has a chance clearly this year to be in the MVP conversation. So he's building a resume. And as they say, I, I mean, if Adam finishes this year with almost 200 wins, not that we care as much about wins as we used to in the past, but once you start getting into that and you understand the breadth of what he's accomplished in his career, he gets to 220, 230. Yeah, I think he's getting in as well. Buster, it's been awesome to catch up again, man. We always appreciate the time. All the best to you and the family, and we'll talk with you again soon, man. That sounds great. You guys have fun. That'll be a fun team to watch this year. Absolutely. Thanks, it has been so far. We're looking forward to it the rest of the season. That's Buster Olney, one of the best in the business, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Let's react to that on the other side. I think the biggest thing that I took away, I mean, there's a ton there, and we'll talk about a lot of it tomorrow when we have a little bit more time to be able to really expand. His comparisons for Ollie Marmel stood out to me. Oh, my God, yeah. If you could hear your manager compared to any two individuals, it would be these two. If you missed his answer on that, we'll get to that on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Grand Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed that interview with Buster Olney, I would highly recommend, if you have any interest in the St. Louis Cardinals, checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It'll be up after the show today. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A few noteworthy things that he said in that interview. First, he said, when we came into the season, I didn't view the Cardinals as a legitimate World Series contender. Today, I do. Second, he said, and Alex, you can react to whichever one of these you well, want first to. First of all, the first one that he said, he said that they're winning the World Series. That's what I heard <laughs> out of Buster Olney. The second thing he said is Albert, Yachty, Goldie, Arenado, Wayno, all of them going to get into the Hall of Fame eventually. That one just doesn't surprise me. And I know a lot of people push back on this. And Bill Ripken was the one that told us, like, you know, he's about it being a very small hall. All five are Hall of Famers, in my opinion. And the one you'd probably have to make the most case on is Adam Wainwright, but I think Adam Wainwright is for the longevity of his career. Yeah, I think eventually we're going to get to the point where we look back at this era of pitcher and we say to ourselves, how is Wayno not among the yeah. elite of this He's class? He's the end of an era. 
And so I, I, I do think eventually we will view him, maybe not as a no-doubt Hall of Famer, but he will have enough of an argument yeah. that he probably he's, gets in. He's not a first ballot, but no, I, I, I believe he will get I, I believe he's going to get in like Scott Rowland's going to get in. And then the thing that really stood out to me, and we've been we talked about this kind of beating around the bush early on, especially before the season. Who does Ollie Marmo remind you of? Who is the manager in recent years that managed this way? Because I do think in listen, Ollie's not a perfect manager because I don't think there is such thing as a perfect manager, but he's a pretty darn good one. And this weekend impressed the hell out of me. And it clearly impressed the guys on the ESPN crew as well. Dave Cohn was talking about how much he impressed him, and Buster only said the same thing. By the way, CBS Sports put out their power rankings and has the Cardinals' fifth best. And that sounds about right to me. Between five and nine is probably Yankees, where I would Mets, have them. Dodgers, Astros, Cardinals. That's yeah. what CBS has. That seems about right. And he said that Ollie Marmol reminds him of a some kind of a combination of Kevin Cash and Alex Cora. If you could have your manager who is new to the job be compared to anybody else around baseball manager-wise. I think those would be the two that I would want. Alex Cora is known at, by basically everybody within baseball to be one of the best baseball people in the industry. Kevin Cash, you can say whatever you want about the decision to uh, take out Blake Snell in the World Series. That guy's an awesome manager. Mm -hmm. To be able to extract as much value as he has from that team down in Tampa where they don't pay anybody. And he knows by the end of the season, he ain't going to have the same team that he started with because they're going to trade away at least one of the 10 best players on the team by midseason. That always happens. That is really impressive for your first year manager to draw some sort of comparisons to those two guys. Yeah, I mean, when we started the season, we brought up the name Alex Cora. And we were like, man, can he have an Alex Cora impact? And we didn't know. We were just throwing the name out there. But if you were to ask me who are the top managers in Major League Baseball, Alex Cora would be at the top of that list. I agree. And even for how bad they're performing this year. I think you can make year, Casey's number one on my list. I think I could. The only difference is Kevin Cash is having success with a roster that is always not the greatest, and Alex Cora is starting to get a little taste of a bad roster and how do you win with it. But those would be the top two, and then Dave Roberts would be the third. Yeah, Those would be my, my top three managers. And to say you that could put he's, Snitker in that group. You could go Dusky Baker maybe, but he's got a loaded roster. But re regardless, and like, even that's Snitker, your grouping. And even Snitker's got a loaded roster with a lot of really good talent. I like Council too. It, yeah, uh, but – Council can't get past the threshold that you need him to. And that's totally uh, Ali Marmol is going to come into play here. But to have your name associated with those two guys, that speaks everything you need to know about Ali Marmol. And frankly, I love the comp to Alex Cora because he does remind me a lot of him also. It's really impressive, man. And the thing that I love about it is it's not just us locally that are noticing these things. It's national. Because sometimes you do get that, right? Where you fall into the trap of thinking your guy is better because he's your guy. And then nationally, you talk to people and it's like, OK, yeah, he, he's good. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know that nationally we view him in the same light that you do. And then we always ask the questions of, OK, why? What, what are we missing here? Right. It's not that way here with this. We do have a little bit of news. We'll get to that on the other side. It's nothing that you're going to think is earth shattering, but some Cardinals no news Aaron Nola. that we'll get to on the other side and finish things up with the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The big news 
is that the Cardinals have activated Tyler O'Neill from the injured list. Jake Walsh optioned down to Memphis oh. as the corresponding move. The fast lane will have it all broken down for you coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, our quick reaction to this, I'm happy to see Tyler O'Neill back. The Cardinals need him. If they're going to be the fully formed version of their team, the peak of Tyler O'Neill is one of the 10 best hitters in the National League, or 10 most productive at least. We saw that last year. This year, we haven't seen it yet, and I want to find out what they have in him first before we can have the conversation about, okay, what does the trade deadline look like? What do the playing time look like in the outfield? These next 10 days or so, let's see an extended run of Tyler O'Neill again to see if he's got it back. Yeah, I'm probably playing him in eight of the 10 games, just or eight of the 10 days, just yeah. so I can give him the, the respected days off that you absolutely need to. But maybe in those one of those other two, I put him at DH. I want to see the extended run of Tyler O'Neill. There's no point in bringing this guy back and what, you know tiptoeing into the water. You need a cannonball right in to find out what Tyler O'Neill's got because if he's not the same guy, well, then that's going to start changing your plans come trade deadline and time. And it's going to be tough going up against Tampa Bay. They've got a good team, but Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, those are your next seven games. So in this 10-game stretch, most of them are coming up against bottom feeders. With the game today, Alex, we're not going to do the lineup game because the lineup isn't out yet. So you don't have to mute your, your radio before the fast lane comes up. They have a lefty on the mound for the race. That means that Albert's going to be your designated hitter. Juan Yepes very likely going to be in right field. I would imagine Tyler O'Neill slots into left field. You have Edmund at short and you have Donovan at second. Mm -hmm. That's my guess as to how they're going to construct things today. So I would have Tommy Edmund in his usual leadoff spot. And I would put Tyler O'Neill immediately right back in there in the two hole against a lefty. Now against right-handed pitching, this will be different because that's where Gorman has been. And he will continue to be there, I think. But against a left-handed pitcher with Gorman out of the lineup, I think you go O'Neal too. Make sure he's getting those strikes. They have to pitch to him. They can't pitch around him the way they can elsewhere. And then you got Goldie, Arenado, Albert. And then you can kind of construct the lineup however you want to at the back end. But my guess is it'll it'll be something to the degree of Yepes, Bader, Yachty, but Donovan, something like that yeah. in the bottom half. I'm with you. And the only the only part where I would sit there and be like, ah, do you want to put Tyler Neal in the two hole? Is because he's going to see those favorable pitches, which will look great. But then what happens when Gorman's playing? And then you're putting him into the five spot. And then it's a different look at pitches. Probably like, six hole. Do you want him to do you want him to get used to the type of pitches he's going to see or do you want him to go back and forth? And these are just questions that I have. I mean, the guy's a big leaguer. If he's going to hit, he's going to hit. It doesn't matter where he's at. But in an ideal situation, Tyler O'Neill hits in the two spot. But then when you have to put Gorman back in there, Tyler O'Neill hits in the five hole because then you're talking about Yepes playing the DH spot and hitting sixth or Pujols hitting sixth. And then you're talking about the seven, eight, nine, which in all reality, I think the best case scenario for this team is having Donovan play in the eight hole and then Bader in the nine. And you've got three guys at the bottom of your order that become even more dangerous. Yeah, I think against uh, right-handed pitching, the way that I would go about it is Edmund still batting leadoff. You get Gorman batting second, Goldie Arenado three, four. And then you got Donovan as kind of that transition piece in your five hole. And then you've got O'Neill six, Yepes seventh. Yachty and Bader at the bottom of your order. And then what happens when Carlson comes back? And then you figure it out. Good. You figure it out. So you know, you, you make it work. Whoever's hit, if you hit, you play. This that is why was the mantra all season long, and it continues. This is why I don't need a bat if I'm the Cardinals. This is why I'm looking at pitching, because there's way too many mouths to feed. And I know things play themselves out, and you'll probably be talking about a need in the offensive side come trade deadline sure. time. But for right now, that lineup 
is a stack lineup that you're just trying to make sure everyone's hit on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, if Tyler O'Neill ends up against right-handed pitching being your six-hole hitter and against left-handed pitching, you're, you've got Juan Yepes out there or potentially Dylan Carlson in that spot and Juan Yepes batting seventh for you. That's a really good lineup as long as those guys start hitting. But mm -hmm. they need Tyler O'Neill to get going. It starts tonight again. The news for the day, Tyler O'Neill back up with a big league club off of the IL. Jake Walsh sent down. The fast lane will break it all down for you. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Buster only great interview. You'll find that on the podcast page later on for Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, who did a fantastic job with Tanner Hendrickson out on vacation. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.